this chick in some work, but I finally have them. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities. Oh, yeah. I have seen things. Maybe Superman was some kind of beacon for them to creep back from the shadows. This is now playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Part of the now playing DC Comic Movie Series. The gods gave us many gifts. One day you'll know them all. Hosted by Arnie. I am not opposed to engaging in a bit of fisticuffs should the occasion arise. Stuart. You're a man. Yeah. Does that look like one? And Jacob. That's the uh, bad guy convention. At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the DC Universe movies featuring Superman. I grew up in Kansas, Jim. About as American as it gets. Batman. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Wonder Woman. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Suicide Squad. What the hell's wrong with you people? We're bad guys. It's what we do. And Justice League. They said the age of heroes would never come again. That's too. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Are you effing stupid? Listener discretion is advised. Let's go save the world. Today we're discussing Wonder Woman, starring Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Robin Wright, Danny Houston. Directed by Patty Jenkins. This is the now playing co-host who's not a typical example of our sex. I'm above average. Arnie. Stuart from Paradise Island. Scorpion Sting and Podcasters Podcast. So, this is Jacob. Movie 4 in the DC movie universe moving towards Justice League. Does it feel like Justice League's really coming out this year? No, I don't believe that. Like... <laughs> I keep forgetting. I think that's like next year or something. DC, boy. You know, if ever I feel like I've been too cruel to Marvel movies, all I need to do is watch a DC movie and realize that, yeah, it can be so much worse. That's because you're totally a Marvel guy, right? I mean, that's what a listener <laughs> claimed during our Guardians of the Galaxy 2 review is we're so DC bashing because we hate DC and love Marvel. That's totally you, right, Stuart? Uh, Dark Knight remains the best comic book film ever. I think it should have won the Oscar that year. So, no, I can't go with that. Yeah, and when it comes to the comic books, I read way more DC than Marvel. Marvel has just put out better movies. But what was number four in Wave 1? Was that Captain America, the first Avenger? Thor. Okay, well, I think this is comparable to both of those. So, fair enough. And it's funny because Patty Jenkins, she's only directed one film before. I am assuming Stewart has seen Monster, and I have not, as I didn't want to see the movie where Charlie's Theron made herself look ugly for an Oscar. But she was going to direct Thor to the Dark World. She was handpicked by Natalie Portman, who we all know is the power of the Thor series. <laughs> it feels that way. I mean, that, that is a problem with those movies. She wanted to make Thor 2 a Romeo and Juliet type romance. Marvel had very strict ideas for what they wanted to do, so they parted over, quote, creative differences. But she came and made this, and definitely there are parallels here between Thor and Wonder Woman. Norse mythology, Greek mythology, they started a fantasy world, they come, they have fish out of water moments. This is the Thor of the DC Universe? Yeah, the Thor, and again, the Captain America, I mean... 
we're going to go and have a war movie. This is a period piece. World War One, not comic accurate. I mean, Wonder Woman was created during World War Two. The writers and producers felt like World War One had more bearing on today's world that we're one Archduke Ferdinand away from World War Three, so they decided to back up time and put Wonder Woman in 1918. Yeah, they never show a date, but you get the point that it's towards the end of World War One. Yeah, I definitely think that's smart for many reasons, including the fact that, yeah, Captain America went to World War II. Whatever you can do to make DC differentiated from Marvel, probably that's the thing to do. Is it? Because you didn't like Suicide Squad. You didn't like Batman v Superman. I feel like DC did a lot to say we're different than Marvel. I feel this film is almost the opposite. Hey, let's see what has succeeded with the Marvel films and just try to do that. Okay, well then I think we saw different films. I definitely feel like they're sticking to their guns with Christopher Nolan verse. I, I definitely got the sense that they wanted an ambitious, somber movie. You mentioned Suicide Squad. The one thing that DC has not yet been able to do, but I'll tell you they did with Wonder Woman, is have a definitive theatrical release. They had that really long cut of Batman v Superman that we talked about in Suicide Squad, and before Suicide Squad's opening weekend was even over, they were already talking about that extended cut of Suicide Squad that came out on Blu-ray. And I'll tell you, I was so excited to see the fixed version of Suicide Squad that those Warner Brothers execs hadn't chopped all to hell. <laughs> Jared Leto finally got his dues paid and, and all that Joker stuff was put back in. Yeah, if you're wanting the Joker cut of Suicide Squad and you were as anxious as I, I went to Walmart and pre-ordered the damn thing so I could watch it on Voodoo the day it came <laughs> out. Yeah, it wasn't that markedly different from the theatrical release. If you wanted all those extra Joker scenes that were in all the trailers and the B-roll footage, you don't get them. Some scenes are extended, and the bar scene is put back in that we all said was kind of fun from the trailer, where Diablo decides not to have a drink and all that. But to me, I was shocked how much the exact same movie that extended edition was as the theatrical cut only longer. So if you enjoyed spending time with the characters, you spend more. But if you <laughs> thought there was a different cut somewhere, I did end up reading that novelization and I saw some things that I hypothesized when watching that movie. There was a bit more mystery. It was a bit more linear in the novelization, but Suicide Squad is what Suicide Squad was. I do not need to amend that review. And you don't need to see that movie in order to appreciate this. Or even Batman versus Superman. I think they're making a standalone effort. Yeah, and I know Patty Jenkins came out and said, you know, they were putting the DVD together already for Wonder Woman, and where's the deleted scenes? And she claims there are none. She claims that this was a tight film production, we got our script, we filmed that script. I don't know if this is damage control because of the previous DC films, or and there's a few times I'm like, ah, it feels like something may have been cut there, but maybe they never shot it. They edited it as they went. But what they wanted is on the screen, according to her. Yeah, I read similar interviews. There was a lot of rumors around Wonder Woman that this film was another disaster. Some quote-unquote insider came out around the time of Batman v Superman discussing how Warner Brothers just screws everything up and that Wonder Woman is an unmitigated disaster and they're having to refilm huge things. She claims that every page of the script is here on the screen. They didn't film a single scene that is not used. They had no problems. This was one of the smoothest movie productions. She said the same thing happened with Monster, too. There's not a single deleted scene. They had a very smooth 
movie creation that has been positive from beginning to end and she just kind of sat back frustrated by all the rumor mongering but she said if she denied it it would just add fuel to the fire so she just let it go well i know that if we threw the lasso of truth on her she would be saying a different story no major (laughs) production goes smoothly where everything on the page gets put onto the screen exactly as intended i definitely see parts of this movie where i think they waffled and changed but that is the nature of big budget filmmaking what she's trying to say i think correctly is we actually have a product that we're standing behind and the word turned i yes i had heard wonder woman was really in trouble and then i was hearing all of a sudden it's one of the best comic book movies ever But when it comes to Wonder Woman, we have Black Widow, we have Scarlet Witch, but they're in Avenger movies, they're in Captain America movies. This is the first female superhero movie that we're finally getting in 2017? Well, it's the first one we're getting in 2017. Let's not forget Elektra, let's not forget Catwoman. Those are anti-heroes, but I get what you're saying. I forgot about those because those are bad movies. Yeah, we forget about them because they made no impact and because they weren't part of the proper DC or Marvel studio creation. I mean, the fact of the matter is, yeah, they got to Ant-Man and maybe even Howard the Duck and they have not produced a female equivalent to an Avenger in her solo movie yet. So I think that is a blight on Marvel. I do think that's something they're trying to correct next year with Captain Marvel. That's a couple years away. Oh, yeah, I'll believe it when it comes out. Who wants a Captain Marvel movie? Who knows who Captain Marvel is? I thought it was Shazam. (laughs) It it, it is, (laughs) but it's different. Exactly. I'll never understand. But I like Brie Larson, so I'm vaguely excited. Yeah, that's 2019, but Marvel has been pushing forward. There was the Agent Carter TV series, another World War II period piece, or shortly after, there was the Jessica Jones TV series. Best of the Marvel Netflix series, I will give it that. And they did, of course, have strong female characters in their movies. Integral versus Wonder Woman that we all said was possibly the best part of Batman versus Superman, but totally felt shoehorned into that production. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear here. I think many people behind the scenes would have loved to have gotten to Wonder Woman sooner. I know they've tried many times to bring it to the screen. Wasn't it Joss Whedon that was always trying to get this going? Oh, there were a number of people behind it. Joss Whedon, for several years, was hired to write a script. But before that, in the late 90s, early 2000s, they were talking about doing one with Sandra Bullock as Wonder Woman. I can't ever picture her as an action star, believably. I've seen Demolition Man. Didn't you see Miss Congeniality? (laughs) Yeah, that and Saw the Heat. And But they were talking about that. There was a number of various screenplays and production. And then I did feel, from what I've read, that starting in the late 2000s, they began chasing Marvel's tail. They started looking at various scripts seriously. They wanted to start a DC universe with Wonder Woman, Flash, and Aquaman. I think the first step of that universe might have been Green Lantern. (laughs) Missed up, you mean? (laughs) And now they're doing it again, but putting Wonder Woman forward. And Patty Jenkins, probably worth pointing out, wasn't Warner Brothers' first choice. They had a director, Michelle McLaren, attached to the project. If you don't know that name, don't feel bad. She hasn't done any movies that I can tell. She worked on a number of TV shows. She's done a lot of episodes of Mad Men and Game of Thrones and kind of like Thor 2. I think they look at the Game of Thrones directors to see who has the chops for this kind of fantasy storytelling. But Warner Brothers fired her 
well, she parted ways, they said, over, quote, creative differences just as recently as April 2015 because the movie McLaren wanted to make, according to insider leaks, McLaren wanted to make a huge origin tale that was described as, like, Braveheart, an epic. And Warner Brothers specifically wanted a movie that would appeal more to younger audiences. They wanted a movie, quote, less heavy on action, unquote. And so McLaren was out in 2015. They got Patty Jenkins in the blink of an eye. And obviously, if you watch this movie, you're going to see a movie that is very much less heavy on action and... Whether that was something Jenkins pitched and the studio agreed with, or whether that was studio mandate, is something that will forever be up for debate. But that's how Patty Jenkins, director of Monster, came on board for this project. But with all of that trouble behind them, again, history will tell the tale that they did the right things, obviously, with the box office numbers that this has gotten over a hundred million, compared to original estimates closer to 60 million. And truthfully, for Wonder Woman, it's been too long. We reviewed both the Wonder Woman television movies, but truthfully, when you just think of superheroes, if you were to do a family feud, top 100 answers on the board, name a superhero, I think you've got Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, I guess now Iron Man, and Wonder Woman. She's gotta be one of the top superhero names there is. I think that is the biggest shock. It, is it sexism? Who knows? But the fact that she would be in the top five, I would say, and she hasn't got a film, that says something about society. I mean, again, Stuart said, we got Ant-Man before Wonder Woman. What kind of world do we live in? Like, forget about a whole male versus female thing. It's just she is one of the biggest. So that's crazy. Is there sexism involved? Perhaps. But I think it's complicated. I don't think you can throw that blanket on it and say that explains everything. I think it really comes down to finances. We've had several female-driven action movies that have flopped spectacularly with A-list talent. And why that is is a complicated question, but it makes investors weary of backing a female superhero. So, yeah, there's a real risk here. And the fact that DC is going to be the first one to tackle it. What do they got to lose? They, To most <laughs> people, they failed with their first three attempts. Yeah, but I mean, for people that want to see more positive portrayals of female superheroes, if they screw this up, it could screw it up for everybody. I also think Wonder Woman's a tough nut to crack. I mean, Marvel and DC are very different universes by design. Marvel has always tried to be more grounded. You know, you look at Spider-Man, the neurotic superhero, and who's hounded by the media. Tony Stark, the drunkard. You know, they've always had more flawed heroes. When I look at DC... I do see mythological gods. I do just think of them as almost demigods, you know? Like they're just more heroic. And so you take Wonder Woman, who in this case, in this movie, is a literal demigod, and the fact that she comes from an island of all women, and just, if you look at her iconography, the lasso of truth, Jacob, you've already said people equate that to bondage, an invisible jet, magic bracelets... I think it's a hard nut to crack. I think that's something that if you're trying to translate for modern mainstream audiences and not those who just watch Birds of Prey and are already the DC acolytes who probably have Green Lantern tattoos. And I'm not dissing them. I got Star Wars tattoos. I'm just saying you're always going to get your base, even if you make that 1990 Captain America movie. But how do you make a blockbuster out of it? 
I would be daunted if I was asked to adapt her in 2017. Even with the comic book writers, they many times say, what do you do with this character with such a weird history? That is a challenge. How do you adapt her for the screen? Again, I'm thinking a lot about Thor and a lot about Captain America, the first Avenger, when I saw those trailers. How do you make it different and not just seem like a copy of those Marvel films? More importantly, how do you make it not seem like a joke? So often when we get it, I mean, Catwoman, perfect example, Halle Berry is parading around in lingerie. There's no real attempt to sell that character as a credible superhero on the order of a Superman or Batman. And here, with Wonder Woman, that's what they're going to do. By hiring Patty Jenkins, who, yes, whose only movie that I know of, I don't even know what she's been doing in the last decade. There was something with some short films that she did. I tried to, yeah, I went to look. I'm like, who is she? And I'm like, okay, Monster I know, and then a bunch of short films. Yeah, but Monster is not the kind of movie that gets you working for major studios, I wouldn't think. It is a low-budget grimy movie in which they contemplate the idea of a female serial killer. Patty Jenkins basically wants to take a look at how we got the first female serial killer and what were the conditions that led to her killing. It's a semi-sympathetic portrayal. Maybe she can offer some insights into the first female superhero being considered for a feature, but with the campiness of the premise paired with a director who's known for grime and grit and deep psychological insight, I didn't know what I was getting when I walked into the theater on Thursday. But I was pretty excited, and I know the man is going through some personal tragedies right now. Zack Snyder, he's dropped out of Justice League. But I was relieved that he, he's he got a writing credit on this, but I don't think he was really attached to this. I mean, I'm sure he had some input on where this character would go, but that was something that was a relief because I just... I wanted it to be different than the previous three films. So that excited me. I, I didn't read any reviews before I saw this. I heard a few good things, but I just wanted to go in positive and, and have a strong DC film for once. I'm in a similar boat. Zack Snyder, I feel very bad for the man. It doesn't change my opinion on his films and his output, but I do feel bad for him personally. But he is the shepherd of this DC universe. He is a producer of this film. He obviously had some say, but he obviously also didn't have all the say as this doesn't feel filmed like the last three we've reviewed in this. There's actual daylight in this movie. I was just going to say that. <laughs> so by the time they were making this movie, I think Warner Brothers was starting to steer things around a little bit differently. We'd already heard behind the scenes gossip that Warner Brothers is telling Snyder to be less Snydery, starting with Batman v Superman. We're a full year, more than a year away from Batman versus Superman. So you can think that whatever lessons learned were fully implemented here, and Patty Jenkins may have been given much more creative control than she would have been if this movie came out last September. I was excited to see it. I didn't read any reviews, but keeping up with movies, I can't miss the headlines, right? And 94% Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, better than The Dark Knight, according to certain Rotten Tomatoes scores, best superhero movie ever, best DC movie ever. I wanted to walk in and see DC have a home run. I was excited doing the Wonder Woman previous movies and remembering her scenes in Batman v Superman. I'll admit, I wasn't wearing a Wonder Woman shirt going into the theater, but I was hyped. Yeah, in the theater I went to, the first showing, Thursday night, 7 p.m., almost sold out. Theater, a lot of 
women wearing Wonder Women shirts and or jackets or whatnot. And no one in full. No, there was one person in a cape, not full cosplay, but in a cape. <laughs> but I did take my ten year old Kira because I don't know if she was more excited about Wonder Woman or Greek mythology. She's going through a Greek mythology stage right now, and I'm like, well, you know, she is Greek, and there might be some of the gods in there, so that got her excited too. But yeah, I went went to this and sold out. I was surprised. I almost needed to pre buy my ticket. And I think Arnie, we were also excited because Springfield finally got cool. We got to see this in IMAX. I went with you to, I think, the first week of IMAX screenings here in the hometown. 3D prestige showing. It was really nice to not have to drive hours to the nearest IMAX. And it was a shock. We thought as recently as our recording of Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, that one week later we'd be making that drive two and a half hour round trip back up to Bloomington to see this. They opened the IMAX in record time and reserved seats even. Springfield's really coming up in the world. We were able to get really good seats in a theater that I'd say was half full or two-thirds full. There was also a non-IMAX screening going on as well. And I did count. There were 225 seats in the theater. So there were a bit over 100 people there. Yeah, and then I went back the next day. I wanted to see it with my mom. She had been a fan of Linda Carter, gauge her reaction. So I went back to another screening. 3D, it was real D, but not the IMAX. And that had almost nobody in it, but they were really enthusiastic. A lot of applause, a lot of cheers. Which we didn't have in the IMAX screening. Some laughter (laughs) at certain points, and that's about it. No cosplaying, yeah. I thought about breaking out the Kathy Lee Crosby outfit, but... Everyone would just want me to serve them coffee. (laughs) They'd want you to jump some uh, buses or something on your Evil Knievel bike. (laughs) Well, why don't we get into the plot? Arnie, tell us what Wonder Woman is all about. Thousands of years ago, the Greek god Zeus created man. But Zeus's son Ares didn't like his father's favored creation, so the god of war introduced fighting to humans. Real quick, Jacob, you said your daughter's into Greek mythology. I went through a Greek mythology phase. Zeus didn't create man, right? That's the Christian god who created man. Zeus was god of thunder, but Kronos was his dad. And I know Zeus in certain tellings ordered it, but it was specifically Prometheus that created man and then gave him fire and went outside Zeus's outlined specs with some bonus features. But the Greek mythology is not quite this clean right it's weird dude someone's balls get split open and like gods come out of them it it, it was interesting like she's like so what does this mean uh okay well it's time to have that talk because you're into greek mythology (laughs) wow that's a long night (laughs) yes (laughs) well to counter Ares, zeus created the amazon women who were meant to bring peace but Ares used his power to kill all the gods And Zeus, in his dying act, injured Ares greatly and created an island, Themyscira, where the Amazons could live in peace. He also gave them a god-killing weapon so that if Ares ever came back, the Amazons could finish the god off. Thousands of years later, and it's 1918, and the Amazons have lived an island of supermodel women training for battle should it ever come. They're led by Queen Hippolyta. The queen's sister, Antipi, is general of the army, and the queen has a daughter, Diana, and Hippolyta and Antipi argue over if the girl should be trained in the arts of war. Hippolyta finally agrees, and Diana grows to be their greatest warrior, played by Gal Gadot, who's looking good for 800 years old. According to Patty Jenkins, that's how old Wonder Woman is in this. Right about that time, their paradise island is disrupted. 
U.S. spy Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine, is fleeing a German army. Trevor had infiltrated a German base and stolen their plans for a new deadly mustard gas devised by the German's chief scientist, Dr. Isabel Maru, otherwise known as Dr. Poison. The Germans gave chase and shot down Steve's plane in the water. Diana swims to save Steve from drowning, but the Germans sail through the fog that surrounded the island and launch an attack. The Amazons retaliate, killing every last German, and when they interrogate Steve with their lasso of truth, he tells them about his spy mission and the terrible war to end all wars raging outside. Diana is convinced this war is caused by Ares, so against her mother's wishes, she steals the lasso of truth, a shield, some armor that covers maybe 40% of her body, and the sword Zeus left them to kill a god and returns with Trevor to London. The two bond as Steve promises to take her to the front line of the war where she believes she will meet Ares in battle. Steve tells his superiors that he needs to return to Belgium to stop Dr. Poison's new gas that can eat through gas masks, but the generals refuse as an armistice is being negotiated. Only one person agrees with the mission, Sir Patrick Morgan, played by David Thewlis. Patrick funds Steve's mission and he partners with some missionaries to go to the front lines. Joining Diana and Steve is undercover man Samir, or Sammy, post-traumatic stress disorder suffering sniper Charlie, and Native American smuggler Chief. As they travel, Diana becomes convinced Ares has taken the form of German General Eric Ludendorff, played by Danny Houston. Ludendorff is the backer of Dr. Poison's research and kills the German leaders for negotiating with Europe. Diana and the crew fight their way to the front lines, ending battles that have taken years. There are some setbacks and some romantic moments between Steve and Diana, but it all comes to a head when they reach a castle near the town of Veld, where Ludendorff is. There's a battle, Ludendorff becoming a super soldier when given some steroidal gas by Dr. Poison, but Wonder Woman stabs him through. But the war is not over. Diana is disillusioned. Killing the god of war didn't stop the armies from fighting and the Germans have a plane full of new mustard gas ready to drop on Europe, guaranteeing German victory. And then, the true Ares reveals himself. It is Sir Patrick, and he reveals some secrets. He doesn't make man kill, he only inspires them. The war, the evil, is all mankind. More, the godkiller is not this sword that Zeus left, the godkiller is Diana herself. Zeus is her father. Diana fights Ares while Steve and the others take down the plane. Steve has to sacrifice himself, flying the plane high up in the atmosphere, then shooting the hydrogen-based gas up where it cannot hurt anyone. And on the ground, Diana realizes the power of love she had for Steve. And using that power and some Huey Lewis lyrics, I'm sure, she's able to vanquish Ares finally. Then she, Sammy, Charlie, and Chief return to London, where Europe is celebrating their victory in the war. And we jump to modern day where Diana is a curator for the Louvre in Paris. Not sure how she got that gig, but she dons her Wonder Woman armor once again as credits roll with no freaking Easter egg scenes. But there hasn't been, right? I, I've been trying to think about DC. They don't do that. Again, if Marvel does it. And with these DC movies, is this a opening logo we've seen before with Flash and Superman, Batman? Did I see Hawkman standing in there? No, no, there's no Hawkman. It's the Seven from the Justice League. Uh, yeah, it does feel like they're trying to mimic that Marvel thing now with actual characters from the films. This, I think this is new. Unite the League. Yeah, they are trying to say we have a whole host of characters that you're going to enjoy seeing on the screen. Just as much as Iron Man. <laughs> 
That's what they're trying to sell. Again, later this year, Justice League. So I was a little bit shocked, though. When we saw Batman v Superman, we knew Diana Prince lived in modern day, partied with Lex Luthor, tried to steal some data. Her whole mission there was to get a photo, and that's going to be our end to this movie. But I never got that she was a curator for the Louvre. <laughs> this is our framing setup, and why is she doing that? Does she need the money? <laughs> There was something about a sword and Bruce Wayne was like, oh, you know, the, they really lost the real one. That's a replica that they've had for 200 years or something. I think she's collecting artifacts from her time. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah, I mean, she'd be good at the job. I mean, God knows who better for Hellenic studies than her, someone that has actually been taking care of those things for hundreds of years. But she never left her island. She never interacted with history. Other than World War I to the present, she lived in this island paradise secluded from the world. You know, there were Greek people and the Amazons were there to protect them. And maybe she wants to find out more about those people. She was, I don't even think born. She came from clay. So she's curious about her roots. What's more troubling to me is the opening monologue. I'm like, okay, this is going to be different. We don't have the darkness from Zack Snyder. And like the opening line is like, oh, look at the world, how beautiful it is. But the closer you get, it's just dark. And here's the lesson <laughs> I learned about how dark and crappy it is. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, the very first thing she says is i used to want to save mankind yeah i'm like great we are in the dc movie universe aren't we yeah i do not think that christopher nolan has been vanquished i don't see that it's remarkably different in tone than anything dc has done before it is man of steel maybe with just less of those graying filters we do get to see the little tie to Justice League. A Wayne Enterprises armored truck comes in bringing a Wayne Enterprises briefcase. God knows Bruce loves his branding. <laughs> and in it, he found the original of that digital photo that she was trying to steal before. Is this the same one that they used in Batman versus Superman? Because was Chris Pine already cast? Yes, Chris Pine was in that photo in Batman versus Superman. It is the exact same photo. Wow, that's showing more pre-planning than I would have thought for DC. Okay, congrats. But we're whisked away from this fast. This is not going to be really tied to what we've seen before. I think it was a relief for my mom, who has not seen a superhero movie in probably 15 years, that we're just going to tell a standalone origin story for an iconic character everyone feels like they knows, but doesn't know a whole lot about. Wonder Woman has a lot of mystery to her. What has she been doing, even since World War One is a tease not answered by previous films. I thought this was going to be pretty similar in origin to what we saw with either Linda Carter. I mean, I don't I don't think she was going to go on a sideshow blocking bullets <laughs> for red buttons, but or, or if you even saw that DC animated thing, I'm like, oh, they're going to stick pretty much. But they do add some mythology and they change it. Like in the comics, there is the thing where Diana is molded by clay by her mother who praised a Zeus to give her a child. Because one thing I would have liked more, we get this opening shot on Paradise Island and I'm like, oh, this looks great. You know, all these women going to, I would have, this is a long movie, so maybe I'm damning myself saying this. It's almost two and a half hours, but I would have liked to spend a little more world building time in Paradise Island. Like, are there no children? Are these just, the Amazons were made and they're going to live forever? Is that why it's so special that this piece of clay was given life to it? Yeah, that's what they say, is that Diana is the only child on the island. And remind me, Jacob, I thought in that 2009 version... We actually saw that in, like, the opening. Hippolyta takes some dirt, puts it together, and it's given life, and Wonder Woman is a golem. 
That's right. That does happen in that animated one. I forgot about that. So when we're hearing that Diana was made from clay and Zeus gave her life, it's ringing true to me. I, I could understand that, and that's why there's only one child on the entire island. The rest of them have been there since the original War of the Gods. And here I was thinking, I'm so ahead of this movie. I'm like, all right, obviously Diana is being sold a bucket of swill, that this is a mythological explanation for hiding who her true father is. And they're going to tease throughout this movie that there's some secret about her past. I'm like, yeah, I can't see this coming. Ares is her dad. I know how this is going to go. You're in line with the 10-year-old I took to this. <laughs> she was like, was shocked that Ares wasn't her dad. Yeah, congrats on really laying something out that makes them look like they're just another formulaic superhero hero movie but yeah that is not exactly how it's going to go and i think there are a lot of twists and surprises to this setup if you think you know superhero movies i've seen almost all of them at this point and i found many points where they got me see and i'm in the opposite boat because when you get this bedtime story about zeus giving them the god killer i'm like well obviously that's wonder woman it's not going to be the stupid sword they're going to show later i didn't even realize they were showing us a sword when diana's a little girl is like can i see the god killer they go in and they see this like double helix shaped thing i'm like that's a weird weapon how do you pick up this thing is somebody at the end gonna have to grab this it kind of looks like if you've seen the statue of atlas with the world and like only it's a wire frame i'm like that's weird i didn't even notice there's a sword in the middle and that's just like a big museum display maybe that's why diana works at the louvre is she's really good <laughs> at displays from this paradise island i think maybe you don't see it because the 3d in this is not very good things don't really pop that well in the IMAX version or the real V. The, uh, these things compositionally are there, but this is where and why you would use 3D. That should have been coming right out at us in 3D, that sword, and it doesn't. Also, I think it is a big thing. We discussed female-led superheroes. I think that there's a lot of feminists, both male and female, putting a lot of stake on this movie, wanting it to succeed both to show a female-led superhero movie can succeed, but because women deserve a superhero movie worthy. And I think it's two steps forward, maybe a half step back. You can be one of these great mythological Amazons so long as you look like you just stepped out of a cover shoot for some magazine or a Victoria's Secret ad or something. I uh, mean, Some look like MMA fighters or boxers to me. They weren't all super skinny. Yeah, no, they had different ethnicities and those women were representative of those ethnicities. They did not make them all look like models. Really, Gal Gadot is the one of all of them that looks the least athletic. Oh, I agree. There's a lot of ethnicities there. You can be any color, but you've got to be super athletic they fat shame and there's no short ones <laughs> <laughs> gal gadot i look at this film and look this might upset some people that are more fervent in their feminism i know there's a big campaign why doesn't wonder woman have armpit hair they were really upset about that but i do feel like you could go two ways you could make this super gender oriented and like lots of comments about the difference between men and women and making women better. I do feel this is more subtle. You will get these great displays like this training ground just with strong women doing like flips and awesome things. They're not going to come out and say a lot, but it, visually, I think there's some very impactful moments. I thought it was incredibly moving. I can honestly say when they show us that wide shot of all those women fighting, I'm like, I've never seen this before. I have never seen such a regal display of women power without it being eroticized or being played as a joke. And it is awesome. This battle where like 
one woman kicks a sword out of the hand of another and somebody else just grabs it from the air. They're doing backflips off moving horses while doing archery. They're really showing that they are warriors. And I don't know that I'm going to reveal a lot by saying this is my favorite part of the movie is when we are on this island with these warriors and seeing little Diana when she's a little girl up there pantomiming the training and then for some reason leaping off a high ledge and... Well, there is ground below her, but I think that's setting up in the future. I mean, she's going to leap to that building to steal the sword, so it's showing that she, yeah, is fearless. I just couldn't decide if her life was at risk or if she was invulnerable to such a fall. Her mother does catch her on the way down by the wrist, which at the very least should dislocate a shoulder, but there is this question of should she be trained? I mean, everybody except Diana knows Diana is the god killer, and yet her mother's like, let's keep her naive and let's make her the only woman on this island who can't fight. Yeah, well, the fear is that as her powers grow, Ares' powers will grow, I think. Now, like that, She doesn't want her to learn how to fight because that makes her more likely to be discovered by the god of war. And I think this is the most radical idea about is why I think it's one of the most amazing superhero takes. In any other instance I can think of, a superhero is defined by how well they fight. And here, we have an advocate for peace. You are awesome because you're not going to use that power to fight. And that's not usually something champion. You have two different influences. You have her mother, and the mother is saying, we want to keep you young. The reason why you're still a child is because you're not being trained to be a warrior. And so she's running away from her tutor at school. She's trying to learn the lessons of the other influence, the sister who is saying that if our job, if we were created to save mankind from Ares and the temptation of war, the best defense is having her be a warrior. And I definitely feel like that's an aesthetic that will run through this movie. This movie will not celebrate battlefield bloodshed. And the way Gal Gadot plays this Wonder Woman, I feel like she harnesses that naivety that someone raised on this island would have that hasn't seen war. She wants to be this fearsome warrior, but the actress, even when she gets out in the real world and is seeing the war and discovering things that she thought was true aren't, I think she does capture, just again, in the looks of her face, I, I don't know, she's probably not a great actress, but for this film... She pulls it off and she sells that. Just to remind you guys of her background, we talked about her a little bit when she was Giselle in three Fast and Furious movies. That's all I know her from. <laughs> I really am just shocked every time I remember she's actually Israeli military. She spent a couple of years. She's a weapon specialist. That's why she got the gig. Apparently, she was up for the role of a Bond girl, didn't get that, and then became Giselle because she knew how to handle a gun. This is a woman who actually knows how to be in real modern-day combat, and I think that's something she brings with her in addition to tremendous looks. And I do like her on this island, her performance when we get to a adult Diana. She has these eyebrow acting she like yes. crinkles her brow and furrows it and that's how she gets all her facial expressions but whether it's confusion joy or revelation or even fear when we see her she's training again we get a brief moment of like adolescent diana and then we get to adult diana and she's fighting antipi and she's looking too much to her mother for approval she's down and her aunt's like 
Never let your guard down. You expect a battle to be fair, or a battle will never be fair. I felt for sure we were setting up how the end battle would go. It doesn't go that way, though. This is just training for training's sake. Usually, yeah, you set up, this is your foreshadowing, this is how the last battle is going to go, and the hero is going to learn the lesson from this failure and apply it to the last one. I don't feel like they go there. It's just, here's a trading motif, and it might seem super real, but if you're looking for tight literary storytelling, there, there's not a big payoff. Antiope will be a big influence in how this Diana becomes Wonder Woman, but I'm willing to bet everything was changed in the climax of this film. We'll talk about it when we get there. But first, I must air my first real grievance. My only real grievance there's one thing I could change about this Wonder Woman. One thing that I could just make something else, it is Gal Gadot. She is just not worthy of this part. I don't think she does have the emotional range in her face to convey in her life, multi-dimensions. I think she is a runway model that is not convincing me she can do the fighting. It all seems like bullet time. And in her romantic scenes, she just seems kind of like she's trying really hard, but seems vacuous and vapid. And I just wish I could get behind this character. I'll agree with you later in the movie. That's why I was making it a point to compliment her here on Paradise Island. I think she does well on Paradise Island. I had no problems with her during this scene where she's doing training and among her people. And I really like her later on. I don't want to jump there yet, but when she's like climbing the building and she smiles and I liked her as Wonder Woman and Batman versus Superman. We all said she looked like she was having some fun battling Doomsday. And so I think there's something there. She can be a warrior. She was not a model to start. She was a military person who got modeling gigs after being an actress. But you're right. I don't think once we get to the mainland and things, her performance falls apart. The movie is a bunch of actors around her. They try to play jokes off her. They know she can't do humor. They keep her as the straight woman. But even then, I wish I could champion this character more. I This character's dramatic arc is something I'm going to be asking a lot about, and I think the reason I have to ask a lot of questions is because her performance isn't giving me what is between the lines. I wasn't sure if it was her performance, the script. Again, just like I think the feminism of this film is very understated and very subtle, I didn't know if that applied to everything, so maybe I was just giving her a pass there because I saw other things as just being very, not broad in scope, so... Yeah, but yeah, someone could have done more with this, definitely. I mean, compare it with Robin Wright, who is awesome in her few scenes there. I mean, there is someone that is committed. She looks fierce in shape, and you believe her fury and her anger, and just looks and asides with her sister. You're seeing great bits of information channeled there. I mean, honestly, recast her with Robin Wright, recast her with Angelina Jolie, recast her with a, an actress. And if you're not going to be doing the physical stuff anyway, if it's all bullet time and all, anybody can do that. That's where I think Marvel is going to win. I think Brie Larson is a far better actress than Gal Gadot. So I think we're going to be seeing, once we get a look at Captain Marvel, a more impressive superhero. And also... I do like the casting of the women around her. Again, you mentioned Robin Wright. I think she's great as the general. I didn't recognize her. I don't think I've seen her since she's so lovely in the late 90s. So it's been 20 years since I've seen her on screen. House of Cards. I didn't watch it. I also thought Connie Nielsen was really good as the queen. I haven't kept up with her career, but of course, I'll always think of Gladiator. The Devil's Advocate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, yes, that's exactly where I went to. Where did you go to? Gladiator. That's oh, why yeah. she got the gig. Oh, yeah. She why do you in... think they put her in the chain there? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess she was in Gladiator, too. You know who I miss, though? Come on. Linda Carter. She was on the red carpet premiere of this. She looks so amazing. Why is she not one of these Amazons there? She deserved a cameo. She deserved a callback. She created Wonder Woman in the mainstream television series. I wish they'd given her that honor. That would be the Marvel thing to do. Yeah, I would be worried about, again, because I want to see this drama that's underplaying, the fight about how best to raise this woman is, I think, a very timely discussion. Do we make them a fierce social justice warrior or do we make her educated and enlightened and the best at what anybody could do? I mean, I think the influences for peace versus war, it's an unwinnable argument. I mean, you both sides make a really good case here, but the fact of the matter remains that Diana wants to be trained and now that she's Gal Gadot, she's ready for battle. I do have a question during this training, though, because... When she's down on the ground, she's lost her sword, and Antipi is above her, screaming, never let your guard down. Diana clashes her bracelets, is what they've always called them, but like forearm armor together, and it sends like the shockwave and knocks everybody back. And she like is apologizing, everybody else is stunned. This is not an Amazon thing. She didn't know she was going to do that, right? She's like unleashing the power of her demigodness. And yeah, just look at the reaction on her mom's face. I mean, that she is the god killer. It's not going to be this stupid sword. This is it revealing itself here. Okay. I mean, I guess I feel stupid. I didn't see it coming. What's telling is that they always said the more she becomes this weapon or the more she is trained, the fear of the mother is that war would break out, Ares would gain power. And what happens right after she clashes these? Next scene, she's standing on the cliff and Steve Trevor comes crashing through the barrier. Yeah, it's not just a happy coincidence. I agree. She has now reached the point where she's bringing real world problems to her through the barrier. I honestly thought they'd tie it in closer. Like that shockwave she sent would cause the plane to crash above the barrier. Because we see, it's almost like Stephen King's under the dome when there's this area around this island that can't be breached. We're going to find out that to outsiders, it seems like a dense fog you just can't see through. I thought that might be a reference to the fog of war. But no, it just happens to be fate. I'm not going to say coincidence, but fate that she gains her power and the Germans shoot down Steve Trevor right at that time. I'm going to give Patty Jenkins and the cinematographer here some credit. I love the way this movie is shot. First of all, they didn't do what Captain America the First Avenger did where they muted down all the colors to make it feel like an old film. Or what Zack Snyder has done in his film. Nothing feels muted here. No, it's bright, it's colorful. There's some great shots. I absolutely love when Steve is crashing in the water, his plane is falling apart, he looks up and you just see the shadow or the shape of Gal Gadot standing on the floating fuselage as he goes down before she comes down under the water, some great underwater shots of her undoing his seatbelt or whatever it is and getting him above water. I just thought this was a good looking film. Of course, they're doing that in part because they want to contrast it with the real world. Yes, this is a splendid paradise island because there is a invisible barrier there. And in a really cool tracking shot, when we move through it, we can see the rest of the world is Zack Snyder land. It is foggy and bleak <laughs> and ugly and gray. 
what surprised me because I saw soldiers raiding the shores of Paradise Island in a trailer. I thought that was going to be like the big climax or something, but no, that's the first real battle. And what I'll say about this film again, it's long. Whenever it starts dragging, I, I do feel like there's an action scene to come shortly. Like whenever I start feeling it, there's an action scene right right around the corner, and you get that here with these Germans who figure out that there's this yeah force field around there. You just poke your head through it, and there you can see Paradise Island, and they storm the beaches. You said this was a long movie, Jacob. I'm going to agree. But this first half hour books. We are at this invasion of the beach only 20 minutes into the film. Wow, I didn't realize it was that quick. Yeah, I can't believe how much information is conveyed in such a short time without feeling perfunctory. I feel like I get a good feeling for this island. I know Diana. I know her story. We even got a flashback that was kind of cool in like a painting style. Like the Sistine Chapel starts to move like a motion comic as... Hippolyta tells the story of Zeus and Ares. We get a lot of information given to us before Steve hits the island, and yet here we are in a battle. I feel like this is working very well as a comic book movie during the first act. It's going to drag for me later on, which is why I'm calling attention to how much is done how quickly here versus how much is done how slowly later. Yeah, another surprise. I think I'm agreeing with you, Jacob, in the sense that I suspected the Germans might have learned, oh, there's an island, go back, retreat, plot, and then we would get this battle in a while, maybe even the climax. But the fact that they're going to just bravely just go right in there and be like, no, we're taking it now. We're going to have this incredible standoff. The women on the cliffs on the horses. Steve Trevor is cracking me up saying, they got guns, right? <laughs> nope, they got flaming arrows. And really cool moves. I mean, we're going to see Antipi do this move where she flips and leaps high in the air. Again, I'm never quite sure what powers Diana has because she's an Amazon versus what power she has because she's the Wonder Woman. But Apolita, she's going to shoot three arrows at once and kill three German soldiers hiding behind an embankment. Are they playing it for comedy, though? Because those German soldiers make almost like three stooges faces as they're going down. I'm trying to decide if, if this death is supposed to be funny or if it's just they hired bad extras to fall <laughs> over. You know, you can't have it be too bloody. It's PG-13. It's still a comic book film that people are going to want to bring their little girls or, or their boys to as well. So maybe they did that to tone it down. I think that's part of it, but I also think we've seen blood. If you make it black, you can have blood spurting around. I think this is a director who's of the mindset, I'm not celebrating violence. And I think at times that pulls me out of the film. You don't have to celebrate it, but I want a little bit of realism. And this movie, it pulls a lot of punches. I was surprised that there was a 13 after that PG, truthfully. You're saying someone doesn't want to celebrate violence. Then why are you making it look so cool? Like these flips. I feel like we do get Zack Snyder stamp here. And maybe because he did 300 and this was a thing he did in 300 where you like, you have an action move and then you slow it down, freeze it and then go fast again. I feel like you get a lot of that. Maybe that was to help with the wire foo or to throw in some CGI versions of the actors to do some of these moves. But I do like the stylized fighting in this film. Gorgeous. Yeah, it displays regal 
raw feminine power. It doesn't show bloodshed. And I think that's the right emphasis here. Another thing I did not expect, I don't know why I didn't. I should. Obviously, some character needs to lose their life. I just didn't want it to be Robin Wright, I don't think. She's so good in this. I hated seeing her taken out so early. She wasn't the first. We see our first Amazon death when somebody's like bungee jumping off a cliff and a German shoots past Diana to hit this Amazon, this nameless Amazon. And then, yes, Diana gets into the battle. She grabs a sword and... Antipi is dying to save her life. A German is going to shoot Diana in the back. And Antipi, I think because not just it's her niece, but because it's the god killer who has a destiny, leaps in the way of a bullet and takes it for her daughter. I didn't see it being a death wound either, but she's going to die right there on the beach. And Yeah, I was surprised. Like, you get that first shot of a bullet. Again, it goes into that slow motion. And I do like the way, like, you see Gal Gadot, like, kind of turning her head, looking at the slow motion bullet. Because what, what's a bullet? What are these things? They should be arrows. But I'm surprised, like, yeah, the Amazons can die. And that was something I wasn't sure about, especially on their island. Should it give them magical powers? But no, they are mortal. They'll live forever, but you pierce them with a bullet. And they're going to die. So that is a shock when Antipi does go down. Yeah, and that she dies to protect. Well, she's calling it out here. I should have realized that she's calling her god killer. Time has come. You must go. But I'm thinking she's saying go and get the god killer. I didn't get what the reveal. It was on a repeat of looking at the line that she's saying you are the god killer versus just speaking about it. It's kind of weird the way she says it, but it is... On repeat viewings, you'll definitely get what's happening there. And then they want to kill Steve, too, because he's wearing a German outfit. I'm not as versed in World War One as I am in World War Two. They don't cover it as much in history class. I had to actually go and look up some German history and some World War One history. No one understands why World War One started like that. It's like, I don't know, some guy got shot and for some reason that started a war. Balkanization, yes. This isn't what I expected. Jacob, I'm looking to you for the history of Steve Trevor. Was he a spy? I've always known him as a pilot who crashed and Diana was basically the nightingale kind of thing where she cares for him. He falls in love with her and they go back to the world together. Was he always an undercover spy? They've had to update him because they want him still alive in modern times. But no, he was just an American who got shot down by a German. I, I was confused because I saw that plane come through. I'm like, that looks like a German plane, but that's Chris Pine. He's Steve Trevor. He's an American. He's an American who works for British intelligence, who plays a German spy. Like, it gets very confusing. No, I mean, they've had to change things because they've made this World War One, and they, they want him to be part of the action. Not Again, I'm thinking, oh, Steve Trevor's going to land, and we just got to take him back to the hospital in America. No, they're going to take this a totally different direction than that classic mythology we've seen in other films. They don't want to have Benjamin Brad. They made that mistake in the past where if we make a woman too powerful the man just sits back and looks emasculated and that doesn't play well for the male audience. It doesn't play well really, shouldn't play well for anybody and here at the beginning, yeah the women want to blame the man. You brought the war. I'm gonna say it sorry, but the man steals the movie from Wonder Woman. The best thing about this movie, by far I'd give him an Oscar. He's so good in this movie. Chris Pine. And if you've seen the SNL, this is Chris Pine. He's not Chris Evans. He's not Chris Hemsworth. He's not Chris Pratt. <laughs> another Chris, yes. <laughs> yeah, another white guy named Chris with a short haircut who does a lot of action movies. Chris Pine, Captain Kirk. And 
I'll agree. He is wonderful in this role. His line delivery. I think he's playing Captain Kirk sometimes. Yeah, he's straight up doing Captain Kirk in this film. Sometimes. But and yet there's a woundedness to him that I didn't buy in Kirk later. I mean, he's asked to do all kinds of things. And some of them are ridiculous. The idea that he's an American working for the British. All of it. And yet there's not one false note. There's not one time where I say, oh, he wouldn't do that. And it's because of Chris Pine. Truthfully, I'm sad he dies in this film. If there's a Wonder Woman 2, I'd like him to be in it, really. I like him, and as much as I can, I like their chemistry together. They spend a lot of time on screen together. Chris Pine gets very few scenes without Gadot there, and I think he is really good in this movie. He carries me when Wonder Woman doesn't. And here, I like him when he's got that lasso of truth around him. I may not like that every time it's used, it lights up like it's a neon sign in Vegas, but... Yeah, the lighting up of it really stands out. They could have turned that down a little. Yeah, I mean, it is really blindingly bright, but when he's there and he has to give all of this data dump, this exposition scene, he does it in a performance that makes it fun to watch. He brings humor. There's a lot of humor with him. I mean, first of all, there's just all the are you a man jokes. She's never seen a man before. She's going to see him naked. There's some jokes that don't feel period right from him first of all uh penis size joke innuendo and second later on he's going to make a divorce joke. you don't think dudes were always bragging about the size of their dick throughout history i don't think so maybe i'm wrong you're wrong uh, and i also <laughs> looked it up he's later going to talk about marriage and staying together till death do you part she's like that seemed very modern his take on marriage. The uh, divorce rate was 1% in 1918. So at times I feel like we're winking to the modern audience and trying to make this movie feel more modern to appeal to a broader audience who may not like period pieces as much. We're going to go period piece light and it's Chris Pine who the weight is on to give us the modern references. Yeah, and again, to me, when he's rejecting the idea of marriage and all of that, I see a woundedness in him. We, it makes me think, wow, something happened to him that was so damaging, he would leave America behind, become an expat, go work for the British, and yeah, get assigned to the Ottoman Empire break-in and do what we see in this flashback, what he conveys while under the lasso. He reveals who the villains are. Yes, we've got... First, Dr. Isabel Maru, Dr. Poison. And Stuart, you thought you were ahead of the game saying that you thought Ares was Wonder Woman's father. I thought this was going to be Ares because in most female-led superhero movies, you end with female-on-female violence because there's the misogyny if you have a man punching her. Everybody thinks that it's General Eric Ludendorff, and he's going to be Ares. I thought the switcheroo was going to be this poisoner, this genius of gas-making was going to be our big bad. Yeah, what I thought it was interesting about Dr. Poison, and again, this goes straight back to those original Wonder Woman comics, who was a female who would kind of wear this bulky suit to look like a man, and she worked for the Nazis and made poison here. But what I think throws you off here, I'm looking at her, and yeah, it is this woman and this male dominated in the military. She's got these prosthetics on her jaw. 
that look like clay. I'm like, is that a reference to Diana coming from clay? Are they trying to draw similarities between these two women? I don't know who this actress is playing Dr. Poison. I do like the way she delivers her stuff. This is a wounded character, but I do feel like they're also, this is a version of Wonder Woman where she's got partial clay to draw that similarity. She is in this male-dominated workplace and, and she's got great power. She's the number one poison maker. Elena Ananaya is, I think, how you pronounce her name. She's given this performance before. There is a Pedro Almodovar horror movie called The Skin I'm In that's pretty good, and she spends much of that movie under facial reconstruction wearing these kinds of prosthetic masks. So she probably got the gig from that film. I looked her up. I hadn't seen her in anything, which was odd because I spent most of the movie trying to figure out if I knew the actress under the plastic. It was giving me a little bit of a Hellboy kind of vibe. I mean, first of all, we're in World War One, and then she's got this prosthetic jaw. I assumed that it was because she had had some accident with her own gas and that it was covering up deformity. But the way it worked, I was fascinated by it, that it wasn't just one piece, if she didn't just talk like this, it was really articulated, a little robotic. It was three pieces that had give so that she could move her mouth and i thought it was really cool looking yeah and again i think that's what allows her to work with the boys because in this time no a woman wouldn't have been promoted to this level she would not have and exert this level of power it's because people don't see her men don't recognize her because they can't objectify her she doesn't exist and that's a storyline that they started to play with in the climax i really like the idea and then i think they threw that climax away but yeah a really compelling character and villain and i think you make a good point arnie in that oil painting data dump in which diana's mother told her that Ares betrayed the other gods it said that he poisoned mankind, that he turned man against each other through poison. I think that those are clues to give you the indication that, yes, this is your god, Ares. The other one, though, the person who's behind it all, Ludendorff, turns out that's actually like a real person. That was a real World War One general who got into German politics between World War One, World War Two, kind of supported Hitler. You know, I go to Wikipedia to look up all the characters, which ones are from the comics, which aren't. I, his name had a link to it. I'm like, oh, this is a character from the comics. No, real life World War One German guy, General Eric Lutendorf. That's why I think World War One is smart. If they were in World War Two, you couldn't sell us there was a bigger bad than Hitler, right? You'd have to go all the way to the top to Mein Fuhrer, and that's cliche, and they don't want to do that. And linking Hitler with the god Ares is a step too removed. But the fact that it's this secondary character from history in a war that people are less exposed to, I think, yeah, you could make the case that, okay, this is a fictional character, this is Ares. They plant enough clues there that you could fall for the trap. And we get a flashback here as Steve is giving his data dump. I just kept thinking this entire movie is a flashback from Diana at the Louvre. And then we have flashbacks within flashbacks. This one is shot in kind of a yellowish haze to give it a period feel. And we see him undercover stealing Dr. Poison's book, grabbing a plane, doing a strafing run on the Germans, and then literally by hand dropping a bomb out. I didn't realize that's how you bombed people in World War One. I. I always thought that was like just a wily e. Coyote move when you have the big bomb and you reach over the side of your open cockpit and drop it. But that's how Steve bombs their gas plant. 
Yeah, so again, he's not emasculate. He is a war hero already. Entering into this scenario, he is already cool. And so it allows us to accept him. And I think he really helps Gal Gadot in those scenes because, yeah, I'm not sure that if you had another bland Benjamin Bratt, I would see romance develop between them. But he sells me on all of that. Well, and I think, again, going with subtle feminism, to have a strong female and a strong male, it makes a better picture than, like you're saying, if you went up with that Benjamin Bratt thing, it's just, it's more fun and it's more compelling to see characters that could keep up with each other in competition. And so, when you, yeah, when you get that bath scene and he, his dick's wagging there and she's just standing there talking, it just feels better than if you had some wimpy male character that was hiding the whole time. I agree. And I think it's the same in male-oriented movies as well. We like to see a strong woman with a strong man, and if you're going to have your female be your lead, it requires good writing is the key. You have to have a multi-faceted ensemble ending to give everybody something to do. When you look at Catwoman, the whole thing was fighting Sharon Stone. What is there for anyone else to do? Here, you're going to have a plane full of poison and uh, God. You give everybody something to do. You look at what Avengers did, what Joss Whedon did with that. It gave everybody something to do at that end. It's just a matter of writing where you're not focused on just one character. I do think there's a good deal of character written into Steve Trevor here better than either of the TV movies we saw. And I'm intrigued by how they play up all the innuendo and things. I, I'm not sure how well it all works for me. Somewhere, Rachel McAdams is giving you a fist pump, Arnie. Yes. When they don't write the romantic leads as having anything more to do than stand around for Doctor Strange, it is painful. You, they need to be integral to the story. And they've done that with Steve Trevor here. And Wonder Woman... Diana knows that she needs to go back with him now, that the Great War is the work of Ares, god of war, and that it is her duty to go and stop it. Too many people have died. He runs down the stats, and she says, this is worth betraying my own mother. I'm going to go steal the accoutrements and go into battle. And I thought for sure we would see what I saw on that 2009 movie and what we saw in the Linda Carter one. I thought we'd see the Olympics and she'd have to go undercover. <laughs> yes, no, they totally changed things. That surprised me. I thought they were going to go with that standard story. And it is pretty quick. Understand now, she's stealing all of this stuff. We're 30 minutes in the movie. We're just finishing up our introduction. We're getting into the meat of it, act two, and she looks like she's having fun again. I remembered her smiling, fighting Doomsday, and here she's taking this big leap onto the tower and grabbing this outcropping and she gets this big smile like i made the leap and i'm having fun watching her enjoy her power she falls and then she kind of realizes she has the strength of the hulk as she just with fingertips punches through stone and climbs up and raids the tower of a shield and the lasso and her armor and yeah she takes the god killing sword she gets everything she needs for the mission what i find interesting here is it's an origin story it doesn't feel too much like an origin story, though. Like, you look at Iron Man and how many montages of Robert Downey Jr. trying to do things with his armor and it going all wacky. Here, you need a scene to forward the plot. She needs to get all her weapons. And during that scene, they just show, oh, look, she's getting stronger, too. I'm so sick of origin stories. I like the feeling that this is more of just a straightforward story. And then there's just these little things peppered in like that. There's a motif going on, too. They start it here. Every time that she leaps into a tower, things change. And this is the first one. 
one. This is where she becomes, she is fully grown. You know, if, if everything we've been seeing on this island up to this point is a small child maturing into a warrior, it is now complete when she puts on the outfit. But the last piece of her outfit, her tiara, for lack of a better term, her mother is going to come and see her off at the boat. Apparently, they had a boat. Who knew that there was a boat dock on this island women never left? No invisible plane. <laughs> and the queen is going to give her Antipes tiara to wear herself. The tiara of the greatest warrior. There's something, though, that the queen says that I don't understand. And maybe you guys can help me. She says, you know that if you choose to leave, you may never return. Now, May, is she saying you can't return or you might not return or you're not allowed to return? Or you might die. That's how I took it is this could be your death. Okay, I just wondered why Diana never went back home, you know? Again, if this wasn't a flashback story, and I don't know if it needs to be framed, uh, yeah, I do feel like you could have a better ending with some kind of resolution with her going home and some lesson learned there. Yeah, and then saying, I choose to stay out amongst the world. It's just the, you may never return. The way it was like a big goodbye, you're my greatest love, you're my greatest disappointment. It was a very strange moment there it felt like a goodbye forever moment and i didn't understand if steve trevor could just crash there why diana couldn't sail on back well if you've been raising a child for 800 years and they're going away to see the other world you celebrate and you finally get to turn that bedroom into an office (laughs) (laughs) well you know she shouldn't have to worry about wonder woman being promiscuous wonder woman's read all 18 volumes of the book of love and knows that men can't provide pleasure oh there's only 12 volumes you're making up the other six that say men (laughs) are worth pleasure that was a uh not so subtle line men are essential for procreation but when it comes to pleasure no but there's very few i guess they have vibrators on paradise island or just other women yeah i thought that was really provocative and i i love that they slipped that in there that had to be a line that was much discussed right that was yes. definitely in the boardrooms of dc of like do we dare do that here all right we'll, we'll let chris pine be naked and have him be the gratuitous nude scene but do we dare actually say that women can do better by pleasuring themselves and having sex with men and i thought it was overt that we get chris pine wearing nothing but his own hand whereas it's normal to see the women in the highly revealing barely pg-13 almost seeing you know watch any fast and furious movie including those with gal gadot to see how little women can wear and here we've got steve out there doing it it felt gratuitous in a see boys we're gonna make you do this kind of way and that doesn't upset me at all. I no, think, no. I think it should be done. I think that statement should be made loudly and bluntly. It doesn't upset me. I've, it just didn't feel natural. It felt meta. Oh, see, to me, it felt natural for meta reasons, if I can say that. I mean, this is Captain Kirk. This is something Captain Kirk would do. And the way Chris Pine is playing this character thus far is very Captain Kirk. What's weird is once they get on that boat, he's like, okay, you sleep over there and I'm going to sleep way over here. I don't know. Maybe he's doing reverse psychology. But Wonder Woman's like, she's down. She's like, no, you can sleep next to me. I took it as he's World War One era human, you know. But he doesn't believe in marriage, which is weird. That is strange. But the fact that he wouldn't just try to jump into bed with her felt more accurate than having Captain Kirk in 1918. I see this character as someone that got a Dear John letter. I see this as someone that probably at one point was a typical man out in the world enjoying himself, but seems very wounded. There's something very wrong in his past to make him, I mean, 
I think it's weird this movie never goes to America. We're going to go to London, and that's where he answers to his bosses. I think that, yeah, something happened with him in America to make him break and shut down. And I get in these moments that he's very cautious and reserved around this woman because he doesn't believe he has much of a future beyond being a spy. That's pretty typical. If you read spy autobiographies and see who they are, they tend to be people that are really closed down and isolated. I like where your head's at, Stuart, on that, but none of that's in this movie. Just to be clear, you're not telling us the backstory that the movie had. The movie keeps this character pretty ambiguous as far as that goes. In fact, while I think Pine is giving him a lot of character, there's not a lot being written for him and his motivation. He's a spy for the British, so he's just good and going to do good things. We get one line where he's going to say he tried doing nothing and that didn't work out well. There's something hinted at, but really he's as undefined a character as most female love interests are in male-oriented action films. So while I like what you're thinking, and I wish it was in this movie, it's not here. What this movie does have, though, is a lot of fish-out-of-water comedy once Diana gets to London. She's gonna be like, oh, a baby! And she has to go looking at clothes. What kind of armor do women wear in London? Yeah, but it, it's all confined to one scene. I, you know, I'm thinking about Thor. All that stuff seemed to fish-out-of-water. Here it does seem confined to, hey, we need to get you a new outfit. And she's, like, trying to kick with all the petticoats. And The reason why it plays better for me is because Gal Gadot is surrounded by really good character actors. And I actually adore Secretary Etta Candy, Lucy Davis. We've seen her before in Shaun of the Dead. She was on the British office. She kills in this role. And I thought for sure she was a spy because I'd seen that Linda Carter one. No, Etta Candy. She was in the 2011 failed pilot. She was in that 2009 animated film. Very different. Made her very skinny. The great thing about Etta Candy, this is going back to the original Wonder Woman. Etta Candy, the daughter of hard and sugar candy and <laughs> sister to mint candy. I mean, she was a body image positive character. Very plump. And she was cool with that. You know, you have the sexy Wonder Woman, but you can also have a different body type and they could be just as confident. And she ran around with Wonder Woman helping her out on her adventures. So I was excited to see this character. And I like how Lucy Davis plays her. It does bring that humor in. Yeah, they even have that line. It sounds like slavery to me. I like this girl, you know. They get each other in a very quick amount of time. She's happy to help her find the right outfit. It ends up being a man suit, more or less. She's going to take the sword and shield off of her. Very Agent Carter, I thought. I think that... DC may have looked at how Agent Carter dressed with the coat and the hat and decided that is a good period look for somebody who's going to be a female action star. She even kind of gets a fight scene in here. She comes in at the conclusion of a big alley battle that Steve and Diana realize they're being followed. And so they duck into an alley and a convention of bad guys surrounds them. Yeah, Steve gets a little bit of action. He does a headbutt and then when a Germans out of bullets, Steve throws a big roundhouse punch, but Diana's the one who takes out most of them. Yeah, this is the big scene where she's starting to block bullets with her bracelets. I don't remember if we got that on the storming the beach scene earlier, but that's a big deal here. Yeah, and Candy, she at least uses that poor heavy sword to stop the last guy, and he's forced to take the cyanide pill. Now, we don't really know how these guys were related to our main villains, or if they were at all. I assume because it's a cyanide pill, poison, that we'd see that it ties back to Dr. Moreau, but it does not. One of them says, I believe you have something that belongs to General Lutendorf. 
They know Steve has the book. He has not yet delivered it to his superiors. So they're trying to get that book from him. Okay, so that's they're just heavies shaking them down for the recipe of poisons. That's what Steve walked away with. That's what he's taking to his supervisors. I think another real strong scene for Wonder Woman. It, she's best when she's strident. And she's never more strident than when she gets to lecture generals about sitting behind a desk. The stuff that doesn't work for me is like you get this scene, Sir Patrick Morgan, David... Thewlis, he's saying, oh, we need this armistice, we need peace, and then Steve walks in, Wonder Woman behind him, and they're like, a woman? A woman in our meeting? But my goodness. Okay, now you're overplaying that whole <laughs> sexist thing, but I do like that when Wonder Woman reprimands him, that's a much better scene, you know, where I come from, yeah, the generals are lead the army into war. Yeah, it takes gender out of it. It's not about her being a woman or not. It's about how you conduct yourself on the battlefield. Here are old men that are very happy to send young men to their death because it suits their purposes. Yeah, I liked the scene where she was speaking. And I felt like there's some commentary on modern times as well. Here is the woman, a minority, telling the white guy behind the desk, you send little boys out to die as if you think your life is worth more than theirs. It's not a new statement. We've been hearing that since Vietnam at least, but... Older than that. (laughs) I'm thinking about songs of like, you know, Fortunate Son and things like that. Here she is making a commentary about our current day where America seems embroiled in an endless war. We've been fighting since 2001 and not stopped since. And many men are dying and wounded. So I think it's a comment on both female roles and just simply white guys causing war. And she also is just smarter than them. I mean, she knows Sumerian. She knows Ottoman. She can read the poison book. They're like, we've sent it to cryptographers. It's going to take a while. We're not sure. She's like, she's just disappointed. She thought the outside world would be more impressive or at least comparable to her island. And what she's finding is it's a dump. They established that when they were pulling in with their boat and it's, you know, foggy England with all the smokestacks all gray back in that Zack Snyder world color palette. Yep. I'm not a big fan of fish of out of water comedy, but it's played in the right way because she's surrounded by people that are good. I really like Chris Pine. He puts on the lasso. He promises to take her to the front. This feels a little strange to me, right? Why would Wonder Woman need mortal protection to get to the... She just needs someone to guide her. She can't take a map. She needs someone to take her there. She can't read a map? What are you saying? She doesn't know where it is. And no, she may not be able to read a map because she's never been off the island. That's the one area where she may be deficient is geography and navigation, but she doesn't know where the war is. She thinks if she gets to the place where the fighting is heaviest, Ares is going to be there reveling in it like Scrooge McDuck in gold, you know? And so they're going to the German high command in Belgium, and that seems to make sense. That there's a no man's land there where everything has gotten in a big stalemate. And so Steve thinks that we should at least go for more people for his own protection, if not for hers. Well, it's a mission. He's not going just for her, though. He is going because Dr. Poison has in that book the formula for hydrogen-based mustard gas. Hydrogen-based means it's going to eat through your gas masks. So because of that, he's afraid, even though he stole the book, He doesn't know she's got some kind of writer's block back at the base. We're going to see a scene of her all depressed that her work is gone. She can't remember what she did. He's telling his superiors, we need to go back to stop the gas. He is going to take Diana. He's not sure if he believes Diana, but his primary mission, his reason for risking his life is not to take Diana to Belgium. It's he needs to get back to Dr. Poison and stop this gas 
that's going to kill so many Europeans. And what's interesting is the reason no one wants to send them on that mission, it's because of peace. We're just on the brink. Why would the Germans start poisoning everyone with gas when we're just on the brink of peace? You know, I'm thinking about what would happen in the next world war with appeasement, allowing Hitler to build more power. There is this danger of like, is it the right kind of peace? I had to look this up. I'm not ashamed to admit. I don't know the difference between a treaty and a ceasefire and an armistice. And so I had to look up what an armistice was. It is how World War I ended. And it's a agreement to cease all battle, more than a ceasefire. And you have to actually get back together and say, we're going to fight again. You can't just ambush. But it's something during which peace talks are then conducted and surrender talks are conducted. And so what we're going to find out at the end is Ares wants this armistice because it'll never last. If they have this armistice, the talks won't go through, battle will start again. Not sure I completely buy that, given that the World War I did stop by an armistice. But then we had World War II. So, I mean, the point is, is that it never leads to eternal peace. True. And World War II was partially because the Germans were unhappy by the conditions of their surrender. Yeah, they had hyperinflation where they're burning their money because it was worth nothing. The other deficiency I feel in this movie, though, is both Ludendorff and Trevor are going to go see a whole bunch of faceless superior officers who I don't understand what their role is. We're going to know this Sir Patrick, but I don't know exactly his role in the British Army. We're going to see Ludendorff kill a whole bunch of German superiors. But because it's not really set up, it felt very obligatory. And like, we have to see them usurping authority. But I never understood the stakes of it or the meaning. I would guess they've changed the climax. I mean, we're getting there. I'm biting my tongue. But yes, there is a scene in here that really announces Ludendorff has gone rogue. He is no longer a part of the German army. He is not obeying the Kaiser. He is obeying himself. And he is believing that he can invent a gas that will make peace unnecessary. And so I think they're building towards something. The fact that he's willing to gas his own people, I think they're building to something different when we get to the party scene than what we end up getting. Are you saying you weren't suspecting something of Sir Patrick? I mean, David Thewlis, who I haven't seen the Harry Potter film, so I don't know what he does there. He's a werewolf. Okay, so probably a bad guy. No, not really. Okay. <laughs> well, I've seen the film. He stars in a film called Naked, where he plays a pretty slimy character. If you're watching season three of Fargo right now, like one of just the most disgusting characters out there with those teeth they've given him and just some of his habits. Defamatorium. Yeah, it's amazing. He's great in the show. Even in that Charlie Coffin film that he did the voice for, Anomalisa, like not a great character. Like I just suspect something bad from him because everything I've seen him in, and he's a bad guy. And I don't know this actor actor from much. I don't watch those TV shows. I knew him from Harry Potter and I didn't even really recognize him from that. He has a very British quality. I'll leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> and so I think that he does end up in period films. And if you don't watch those kinds of things, probably don't know a lot of his work. We did review him. Red 2, he was that silly frog character. Don't even remember that. <laughs> exactly. I don't even remember Red 2. Did I see that? I don't know. But yes, when I started this, I was like, oh, wow, David Thewlis, he's going to be the bad guy. And then after a while, I don't know, he's walking with a cane, a limp. He comes in and he's going to fund Steve's mission. He doesn't act like the god Ares. I kind of start thinking, oh, he took this role to play against type. He is just going to be the resource by which we have our heroes invade German high command. I don't understand anything Ares is really doing in this movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there at the end. <laughs> I don't know why he gives Steve the money. 
what he's doing right now is giving the men the means to hang themselves. You know, give them enough rope that they can hang themselves. That he believes human nature is corrupt, so if you offer them peace, they will always turn to war. And here, yeah, he's the one in the meetings always saying, we need peace, peace, peace. He's surrounded by men that are saying, war, war, war. And men that are saying to Steve, your job is to do nothing. And Steve has a lot of lip service to, he can either do nothing or he can do something and nothing wasn't working for him. And if this is Aries, he's got to suspect something about this woman that's showing up with Steve. Why is she palling around? Why does she know all these languages? He's got to know the Amazons are still out there. Yeah, he knows who she is. You can see it in his performance. Again, some of these people can act, and you can see that <laughs> when they give those reaction shots. When he meets her and says, your lovely companion, we can see what's going on inside his head. I just look back and I'm like, okay, I don't understand his reason for peace, whereas he could just continue war. I don't understand his reason for giving Steve this money other than a diversion so we never suspect Sir Patrick. And to give him a scene away from all the other British leaders, we get one scene where Sir Patrick can stand out to us more than the other generals that Wonder Woman gives a dressing down to. And then we do have the crew that they go with. Sammy and Charlie are introduced in a bar scene. I like them. I like that Sammy can almost keep up with Diana in terms of languages spoken, and he's so smooth and such a con man that he's immediately going to start to romance her. What I like about Sammy and Chief, who we'll meet in a little bit, I don't get it so much from Charlie, but again, this is a film about a woman. Women have been marginalized throughout history. This is about a woman being strong and, and taking charge. And you get other marginalized characters. You're going to have a Native American who's like, I don't care what side I fight on because all my people have been destroyed by war. Sammy, and it's just a line. I love what you can do with a single line. He's like, I wanted to be an actor, but I'm the wrong color. I like that you have these people that could identify with a woman whose gender has been marginalized because they have too because of their race. Yes. You don't identify with Wonder Woman because you are a female. You identify with her because you recognize she is a champion for those that have been held under. And yet, if this movie is a giant leap forward for females, it doesn't do a whole lot against Native American stereotypes when you have a Native American tracker named Chief who's going to send smoke signals. Yeah, the smoke signals was the, again, I think that's a rewrite, but I actually really like the way the actor plays it. Because the Scotsman is so big, he just almost seems like he's giving a non-performance, and it really it feels naturalistic and really cool when we get to that campfire scene. Yeah, it's something, that the, the way just this actor talks, but it's not how, that that gruff stereotype that you would expect. It's it's very, he almost a high-pitched voice that he has. It just goes against those expectations. Yeah, and he's trading to the German, he gives the British German beer, he gives the Germans British tea, I, the, he gives guns to everybody. I, yeah, unfortunately, the movie doesn't have room to give these guys everything that we might like, but I do like the little moments we get. It's kind of like Dark Knight. That was a movie populated with dozens of really cool characters characters who really only have a few seconds to charm us. And Charlie seems rather worthless when they bring him along. He's a marksman, a sharpshooter. We think he's going to be a great sniper, but it turns out he's already killed too many people. They say he sees ghosts because he has nightmares and he can't pull the trigger. And this actor, he is funny though. I think he brings a lot of comedy. We're going to be talking about him again in a few weeks when we discuss train spotting. Uh, Ewan Bremer. I thought I saw him in some Lockstock movies and some Guy Ritchie, but uh, uh, he's not actually in those. No, he was listed in one of them. I don't remember him being in it. He must have been a background character. Uh, he was in Alien vs. Predator, too. 
<laughs> mm. Yeah, I do feel like Charlie, I don't know, maybe there's something happening in the climax where he does finally get that sniper shot off that I just don't remember because so much is going on then. No, he uses the sniper rifle for binoculars the entire movie. That's what I thought. Like, I feel like there's got to be something on the cutting room floor with him because, yeah, they say he sees ghosts. They never really go into what is that all about? And he never gets that sniper shot off that you feel like this character, that's what he needs to do to complete the arc. This movie is not going to advocate you're a hero because because you can pick up a rifle and shoot someone from a long distance. He's a hero because he can sing a song. He's more worthwhile to the team because he can play the piano and charm once they overtake the village. It's not about what he did on the battlefield. It's what he did during peace. He's not actually an asset, though. <laughs> They're bringing him along to make him feel better. He's like, you're better off without me. And guess what? They are. And Wonder Woman's going to be like, but who will sing our song? You don't need a song singer in battle. I'm sorry. <laughs> but again, I think when you think about female warriors, they fight for their children. They fight to protect their family. Men so often are told, they're valiant because they kill, because they can shed blood. It is about body count. And that's the difference here. That is what's impressive about this superhero. And the fact that these men are going to follow suit and not go into a climax in which they prove that they can be killers, but that they can be men. Yeah, they're going to leave the body count to Diana because they are going to get to the trenches of the war where they apparently, this is near the town of Veld and they've been at a standoff in trench warfare for nearly a year. You know, they keep telling Diana, you can't do anything. She sees horses being whipped. Oh, I can help them move their horses without hurting the horses. Diana, we don't have time for this. Oh, look, there's all these wounded men. Diana, we can't help them. And then they get to this in the trench and she's pulled aside by some woman who's like, our people are enslaved. We have no food. And again, they're like, Diana, we have our mission. We have our mission. And she's like, well, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to shed the fur coat, put on the Wonder Woman armor. I'm going to go end this year long stalemate by deflecting machine gun fire with a shield and smashing a machine gun. It's just as this movie, again, it feels like it's lagging. I think this is a great scene. This may be some of my favorite stuff in this film. Like, yeah, seeing that pain. And again, Gal Gadot, probably not a great actress, but playing this naive Amazon, I do think she pulls something off the way she is pained by how the animals are treated, by how these children, what's happened to them. I think it's an impactful image when she's sitting there on the front in the no man's land. It's a woman in no man's land blocking the bullets. And then you get the image of the male soldiers running up behind her as she leads them. Just as a feminist image, you're, you're not saying rah, 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 women are so awesome, men suck. But just a, a subtle image. I think it's a great visual. And I thought it was lacking subtlety when Steve says, this is no man's land. It means no man can cross it. I am really surprised. If there's something on the cutting room floor, it's Gal Gadot saying, but a woman can, because I felt like that was right there. They did that with Lord of the Rings. No man could kill the ring wraith. Well, I am no man. I'm a woman. At a different point, she does make the statement, I am the man that can do this. I mean, they give her a less inflammatory. I do feel like when women are seen as being better than men, that can be very inflammatory for audiences. Here, they don't need to say it. We're all thinking it. It's no man's land. And you're right, Jacob. This is transcendent. First of all, just the idea of one person running out in the battlefield in and of itself. Forget gender, forget anything else. That it was like scary for me. I was just like, oh my God, I can't imagine running into that alone. And the fact that, yeah, she stands there and does that, it's incredibly powerful. I love this scene for how it looks. If Zack Snyder had influence, I feel like it's in this. Gal Gadot, 
I don't think she's acting very well, but man, can she vogue. You know, some of these freeze frame shots that almost look like double splash pages right out of a comic book, whether she's coming through a window or whether she's standing there with the shield deflecting or slow-mo smashing the gun with a shield. And I think that's very much putting forth the non-violent emphasis of this. I'm taking a defense to stop offense. And I like that. I like that they bring up those guitar strings. I always thought that was the Justice League theme, but no, here... Yeah, it's Wonder Woman's theme. Yeah, when... Diana is going to do Wonder Woman-y things. It plays almost like the James Bond theme with those guitars. And I'm so, so happy we're getting action because the battle on the beach came 20 minutes into this. We've had an hour now of talking with Steve Trevor, of talking with generals, of talking with Charlie, of talking with Chief. I was getting bored as hell. There was little battles. I mean, there was a, a mugging in an alley, but I get your point. Yes, it had reached a lull. They'd taken the movie into a different place with a different feel. You had forgotten this was a movie that could do what it does in this action scene. I think there are going to be some people that wishes that got more of this kind of thing. I think by having it sparsely spread out, it's even more powerful when it comes. I disagree. I wanted more. I needed more. You said people forget this is coming. No, I'm like a person at a restaurant who hasn't seen my waiter in 45 minutes and I want my damn drink. Because there's so many other great actors in this, I've enjoyed the more dramatic moments, but I do feel like the pacing is off that, yeah, in a comic book movie, you want to get to this a little bit sooner. And, and it got there without making me wait too much longer when I was starting to feel it. Another moment that I think is really great, again, a subtle one, is there's the sniper in the watchtower and... This is where Charlie, he can't pull the trigger. He can't hold the gun steady. So what do they do? Steve does something that he learned from the Amazons, a tactic. He saw one, you know, lay down with the shield and the other one ran up and jumped off of it. And he takes that idea to help out Wonder Woman jump up into that tower and stop that sniper. Again, it's these little moments like that that I just think are great where they're not stamping it big red rubber stamp feminism. But here's Steve learning from these female warriors how to defeat this problem. Yeah, again, I think every time we get a tower in this movie, you're seeing Wonder Woman develop and the first time she got her outfit and this time, yeah, she's fulfilled the training of Antiope. and That was Antiope's move. And, you know, she did a little better because she had three arrows she fired and it hit all three yes. targets. <laughs> that was still the badass move of the movie. But yeah, that she goes up. I mean, they call it a tower. It's really a church. She takes down the bell tower and takes out the snipers. Really cool stuff. Yeah, we do see her on a new level. And she's brought so many people, so many refugees can now return home to be gassed and killed. <laughs> yeah that's a big victory for the moment and it's going to add dramatic weight later when she's going to see all these people she fought for yes they do die i really love the way when she goes up to that bell tower yeah steve even yells shield which is what they yelled on the beach but when she goes up there i expected to see her maybe conk him with the shield or something no that whole damn tower comes down she goes full Hulk in a few times. Like when she enters this village, the way she throws that tank, that's how I know they're always in that village because that tank is always in the background, like smashed and turned over. And I did, as a photography guy, love the scene then where they're taking the classic photo. We're finding out what the circumstances were where they're on the battlefield. And the photographer's like, please stand very still. It's really important because they had really slow film and slow shutter. They probably had to stand there for quite a while. Do they have photographic glasses? Is that what that picture was taken on? I believe so. I've seen some really old photos like that. I'm surprised, honestly, though, it wasn't like stereoscopic. Not long after this, they'd be doing all the 3D 
photography that you had to put weird goggles on to see. But I wish that that scene was followed up with a dramatic scene that was as good. But this is where we're going to really start to develop the romance between Steve and Diana. And it becomes way too much, again, fish out of water. Oh my god, what is this stuff in the sky? It's snow. It's wonderful. You know, earlier she had had a really cool scene, I thought, a moment, not even a scene, where she discovered ice cream. And again, I really like the fact that she's a character that can see more validity in an ice cream vendor than a four-star general. She admires people for what they contribute to the world. If you can sing, you're worthwhile. If you're a sniper and you've got PTSD, you're not. And so that's what I'm getting from these moments here, is that she's learning to love what is magical about human existence and it's not just about defending them blindly because they're too meek to defend themselves and i also think chris pine is really good in this scene and makes me wonder did they go all the way is one of the cut scenes they went all the way i wondered that too the way that like they're kissing and i thought it was a really romantic kiss the way that they kind of hover there you gotta figure this is her first kiss she's a virgin she's read a lot of books but Uh, never first kiss with a man maybe Hell, True. It wasn't the island of Lesbos. They did not play to that. What do you think they're doing? They got 12 volumes on sexual pleasure. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's at least a couple books. A couple <laughs> books by Sappho there, I think. But then they go into a bedroom, they kiss, and then we cut to an external shot with snow. That's telling me all I need to know in a very Humphrey Bogart way. You know, if you see characters smoking a cigarette, that meant that they had sex even if you didn't see them in a bedroom. Because it's a film made by a female about female empowerment, they don't want to get too gratuitous. I was surprised there wasn't a joke like the next morning where she's like, well, I guess volume seven uh, had some errors in it. Yeah, I mean, they could have done that, but I think this is just too hot button because it brings up a really interesting idea. All right, Steve Trevor is out of this. We'd all like to see Chris Pine return. We know it's going to be modern day when we get back to Wonder Woman in the next movie. Did she get pregnant? That's what I'm wondering. Could she have, like, the TV series? Uh, Could there be an offspring of Steve Trevor that looks exactly like him, played by the same actor? Oh, I thought when you said, like, the TV series, could it be Wonder Girl? Well, I mean, it could be Wonder Girl, but I was, you know, they kept Lyle Wagner around when they moved to the 70s from World War II because he had a son. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if there was nothing said about protection. She knows how sexual reproduction works. Did she consent to it? All of this is too hot. They just do not want to go there with this movie. It would be an unnecessary detour into politics that they don't want to do. But it does beg questions. And I wouldn't rule out the fact that Chris Pine has a way of coming back. I think I'd rule it out, and I think it would be uncomfortable if he came back as her son. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that would be a different... He'd have to play it different, but again, I love the way he's playing everything here. And the men are really chiding him. Now that they're going on, they know that they're not capable of protecting Wonder Woman. They're not even getting paid. They're doing it, I think, out of admiration. They're doing it because they see this as a legend in the making, but they're going to stop short of saying this is Greek mythology. They don't believe that she's going to be able to find the Greek god Ares. My question for you guys, did you? I was kind of on the fence. On one hand, I did not believe she was made out of clay. On the other hand, I figured, yeah, somebody's going to turn into a big creature at the end, and it probably will be the god Ares. 
because she is so naive. She keeps telling us, if I kill Ares, that is the end of all war. I'm like, I think even in the DC movie universe, you still had World War II and Vietnam and uh, all these conflicts. I'm like, uh, it can't be like a literal stopping of war. But I figure there's got to be some big bad. When you show me Lutendorf, you know, Dr. Poison has created, what, super soldier serum? This blue gas that he sniffs and he glows and then he's super strong. I'm like, ah, that can't be the big fight because I don't even know why this is in there except maybe to be a red herring that Lutendorf really is Ares. I already showed my hand that I thought Dr. Poison was Ares. I feel a little bit spoiled because I watched that 2009 movie where she does fight the god Ares. And I also am buying a few DC action figures and the Build-A-Figure for this wave was Ares. So I figured... That in the movie there would be Ares. I I just went with Dr. Poison. I thought they had to have a super CGI fight at the end. I wasn't wrong about the super CGI fight. But again, as for why Charlie, Sammy, and Chief, and even Steve are going, keep in mind, it's going to become a point of contention when they get to the castle. Diana's like, I'm here to kill Ares. Steve still doesn't believe it enough. He's there to infiltrate, to be a spy, to get near Dr. Poison, and to stop this gas. They have two separate missions the whole time in the same direction. Steve isn't wrong saying you can't just straight up, like, assassinate this general in front of everybody, because that is Wonder Woman's plan. Like, she walks in with a sword strapped to her back like He-Man, and she wants to just kill him. I do like that we get... Captain Kirk, Steve Trevor, like, hitting on Dr. Poison, like, trying to woo her, like, by showing interest, like, oh, you're actually attractive, and I like how smart you are. Yeah, that was a great scene, and again, I'm really gonna bet that this is where the original concepts diverged from what we got here. It feels like it here, yeah. They had more for these supporting characters to do in the climax. No, they weren't going to turn into bloodthirsty killers. It wasn't going to be the Dirty Dozen. But there was going to be something done. I mean, Sammy does get to be an actor by pretending to be a chauffeur. But that wasn't it. There was going to be a lot different. And I believe Ludendorff was going to kill this party. They had a whole thing about wait for the fireworks. Yes, I thought that's where this was going. And then there were all these chairs being set outside. I'm like, he's going to gas them like he gassed the old generals earlier. He is going to go really rogue here. And I don't know if they said, this movie's too long. Your script is 30 more minutes and we can't do that. Or if they just said, we are a PG-13 movie. We don't want to watch people being gassed in close-up. They've kind of obscured all of those gassing scenes earlier. It is an uncomfortable image that we take away from World War Two, World War One. Well, no, World War Two. The gassing. I mean, you're oh, right. oh, I get, I get. Yeah, what you're saying, I mean, yes. you're right. World War One as well, but I mean, World War Two is where my mind goes. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but I don't know why they chose the way they did. But it feels like it undercuts sort of the momentum here. The idea that I really like that Steve is going to be able to approach Doctor Poison and make her believe that he loves her for her mind when probably no man has ever noticed her. It was a really tender scene. I did like that scene quite a bit. Again, I think Chris Pine played it very well. I think he did a good job with the accent to a degree. I wondered why all the Germans were speaking English, accented English, but I'm going to roll with it. I didn't get too hung up. But yes, Diana's going to come in. She mugged a woman for the dress and <laughs> catch Steve's eye. And that's going to be how Dr. Poison knows even if you are German and you are telling me the truth, you're really talking me up because your eye is drawn by the attractive woman. I see that, so I'm not going to pay much attention to you. And there's the scene where Ludendorff is going to awkwardly dance with Diana and really 
say things he shouldn't say so that we believe he's Ares. You know nothing about the gods. Yeah, this whole storming the castle scene is confusing to me. Because like you said, Stuart, I thought we're going to gas the people here. And Jeremy's going to be like, those English, they attacked us. We can't sign this armistice. We got to keep fighting. Because you see those seats being laid out and they never go back to those cheers. And all of a sudden there's a cannon on top of the castle firing gas. No one's wondering about that. No one's out there watching that happen. It just cuts to it. There's stuff cut here, stuff changed. Sorry, Patty Jenkins. There are deleted scenes that could be on that DVD. Not to mention the Alien 3 quality of, you just saved this village and they're dead? They're de that is a horrible feeling for her to go riding back, being like, everything that I did was just so that you could be killed in high concentration. That is not what they intended to do and how they wanted to leave us with Vel. I thought they might, because, okay, let's go big picture here. Try to help me understand what Diana's arc is in this movie. How she's different at the end than at the beginning. Because when we start, she's like, I want to kill Ares and I want to protect people. And when we get to this battle in the middle, she's still, I want to protect people. I want to help even though I'm being told I can't, I can't. My guess as to her arc, and unfortunately it all happens in the span of like 15 minutes, but it starts here, is her disillusionment that she tried to save all these people. She left the island to save people and to stop war and to realize everything she did got completely undermined because of the acts of man. Yeah, because she wasn't allowed to take charge and kill Ludendorff. This village has died that she loved. Yes, when she goes up to Ludendorff, he ends up dancing with her. Now, dancing is something she learned from Steve Trevor. That was a human influence on her. And let's also face she's falling in love. And he has some ability to coerce her because she has romantic feelings for him. He really didn't want her to kill Ludendorff there in public. He wanted to find the gas first. And so I think her anger going back to the city was, I could have saved all of these people if I didn't fall for you. I'm mad at you, Steve Trevor, because you talked me out of what I knew needed to be done back at the High Council ballroom. And that's why she goes back. And then, yes, they throw a bone for Chief to be like, oh, we found Ludendorff, follow the smoke signal. We know where Ludendorff is. He's back at the High Command. And mm -hmm. we didn't need the Indian tracker to do that. But again, his part got rewritten. All the supporting characters were thrown out as we got this new climax where she's jumping barbed wire and going to her final tower where she makes her final realization. I also think that when she goes back and sees the gassed people, all we see is yellow. We get to see like a dropped basket of apples, a couple obscured bodies. They should have sold us the horror a little bit more. This is where I feel like this movie should be PG. There's nothing here that tells me the sadness of the moment. I just basically see there's no people. It's all implied. I feel this movie needed to give us a body. It needed to not do that. It needed to let those people live, is what I would argue. I hate the fact that they're all dead. I hate that. There's a moment later on. There's only two moments where I feel like, for ratings, they undercut the realism of a moment. Here, you're right. It's a little bit uncomfortable, especially with all the World War II imagery. But we should have seen, like, that woman who told her, we need help. We needed to see a face of a person that we cared about, somebody from the party, something, to see them dead, to really get us invested with Diana about the tragedy. As it was, I'm like, I understand she's upset, but nothing on screen visually made me upset. 
Carnage is going to move us more emotionally. I think that it does. I think it also would underline the idea that everything Wonder Woman had done had been undercut. And that's not how we want to feel. We want to feel like she is getting better and stronger the more she gets on the battlefield. So that when she's facing off with what she believes is Ares, we know that this is going to be the final fight. I think all of us are surprised by the way this goes when she confronts Danny Houston with the sword. Yeah, I mean, he does take his steroid, and I never thought he was Ares, but it is a interesting fight between the two of them up on the roof, and the other time I thought we needed to see some blood is she impales him. She stabs him through. We see that sword sticking out through the ceiling on the other side. There's no blood dripping off of it. Not a drop. Come on. But again, this is a director. I think she's asking you to think of something super as not being about carnage. That- I'm not thinking about carnage. I'm thinking if you stab somebody through, there's going to be blood. Yeah, at that point, it's just a realism issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, you make a point there. It's not what we would be looking at if this event had transpired. But I also understand that this is not something she wants to celebrate. And I'm behind her on that. I think it kind of reminded me of Hunger Games, where we weren't asking for someone to kill other people like Arnold did in, in Running Man. It was about just surviving. I'm not saying I want to see his intestines hanging off a sword. Give me a little bit of a drip, you know, just something to imply he is a human being that there is blood in him that he's dead you're right the fact that we i'm like are we sure what what is he but it's a nice moment in the sense that we see her disappointment and that she's i've done it everything has been fulfilled i'm looking up and she hears the guns and she sees the munitions still being loaded i guess she expected you know that lord of the rings moment drop the ring into the fires of mordor and what the hole opens up and just all the bad guys are swallowed she thought that would happen I think she actually thought that, like, flowers would bloom. We see that (laughs) later when she is going to be talking to David Thewlis. There's a chance to renew the entire Earth, to make it all look like her paradise island. It's childish and naive, but that's kind of the character, that this is where she really learned that it, it isn't a corruptible influence. Man does bad because man is capable of doing bad. Does that mean man is bad? Well, that's a lot of the dialogue that happens for the rest of this movie. And again, I ask, what is her arc? What is the character changing through this movie that makes her different at the end than at the beginning? I think at the beginning, she thought, you kill one man, you bring peace. And by the end, she's accepted that more of that Amazon mission where, no, your mission is to go amongst the people, and that's the only way to bring peace is to help combat all that evil that is in them. It's not about just killing one guy. I mean, we thought people cheering, oh, Osama bin Laden is dead, yay. Cool, I'm fine with that, but that didn't end terrorism. Now we have ISIS. I actually did put in my notes bin Laden and ISIL when she kills one guy and is specifically says he's dead. She has that moment with Steve. Why are they still fighting? Why are they still coming at us? I felt like it was a commentary on today. I get that her eyes are opened and that killing bin Laden didn't immediately stop all the attacks. However, I'm still failing to see how she changes. I I think she realizes it's a lifelong mission at that point. But how does that change her? How is she a different person? Because before she was committed to killing one guy, I don't think she understood the commitment that it was going to take. She was naive and she's not so naive at the end. She understands what's in the hearts of men. The world can't be saved through killing. It can be saved by loving. That is what she learns. So she's going to use love to kill. 
Well, I mean, again, <laughs> I think that what happens is I call it the Ang Lee Hulk effect. When you get into these high-minded concepts, it's very hard to dramatize them. It's very hard to do something visual that makes that exciting once you realize that. Then you have her do love power kind of things with bracelets and you have people biting into cables you've reached a level of metaphor that can't be explained away in action and we always want an action scene at the end of these kinds of things and that is goes back to the creation of wonder woman where the guy creating her was like oh i want her to win with the power of love and his wife's like yeah but she also still has to be super strong and a tough person so you get that dynamic that problem like how do you differentiate her if she's fighting through the power of love but it's still fighting and it is undermining what i loved about wonder woman and batman versus superman where where she was like hungry for the fight. She's like, after a hundred years, I get to break out this sword and shield and I get to go toe to toe against this beastie. She looked like she was enjoying it. And now you're telling me she's anti-violence. I don't know because she's jumping off to fight by the end of this movie. I think there's a different dynamic. It's not about killing Dr. Poison in this final fight. She has that choice, but she doesn't take it. She realizes that's not what this is about. I see her as before as being someone that could easily declare who was good and bad. She didn't think that mankind was responsible for itself. She believed that they had been poisoned. They had been influenced. And what she finds out here is that David Thewlis, Sir Patrick, is indeed Ares. But what he claims, I'm going to take him at his word, he's not the god of war. He's the god of truth. He presents true things to people, and they can take and do what they want with that truth. And over time, he's given truth to Dr. Poison, and she's used that to make poisons. And then he's given truth about peace, and they haven't taken him at his word. What he's come to the conclusion of, and the reason why he was willing to kill other gods to destroy mankind, was that mankind is inherently prone to evil behavior. Give them the choice to do good, and they will always reject the peace treaty. I feel that this is Christian mythology wearing Greek togas because Zeus created man the way God created man in Genesis. And here, Ares is Lucifer. He's not going to be the god of war that is reveling in the war, but he's going to be the seducer. He's whispering in people's ears what to do. And in fact, we see it here. There was a scene that I didn't quite get first viewing when Ludendorff first takes his super soldier serum. He crushes a gun and then some papers blow, and Dr. Poison goes, I have it, and if it's what I think it is, it's terrible. And then we see in a flashback, it's Sir Patrick is there in like a ghostly image whispering in Dr. Poison's ear at a different time. So I think he's the one who rustled the paper and blew the right one. He says he's the god of truth. He is the god of war. He's whispering the truths that will lead people to battle. No, but he is also the man that is standing in British Parliament saying peace, armistice, all of that. In all cases, he is offering people what they claim that they want and seeing what they do with them. He's seeing that they have free will to do what it is that they want to. And, and it comes out in a lot of dialogue. For me, the bottom line on this character is he's not evil. He's not Satan. He's not tempting people to do bad. He's exposing people to temptation and watching which way they go with the wind. He also wants all humans dead. Well, I see this as a very Greek thing. I don't see it as Christian. I mean, you you have the story of Prometheus who was punished because he gave those humans fire. He gave them the power of the gods. The gods get jealous of humans all the time, and there's all kinds of infighting. Zeus 
turning into a swan and raping a woman. Then his wife's pissed off because that woman had a demigod as a child. Like, there is all kinds of infighting between the gods because of their interactions with the humans. And the reason why he wants all humans dead was he concluded that Zeus's creation was evil. He wanted him to, you know, Prometheus-style come back, erase him, start over again with some black ooze. Yeah, Prometheus but- <laughs> the movie, not Prometheus the yes. good god, lest we cross those yes. streams. Yes, it, true. Although they were both working with the same ideas here, I think that this is a character that saw himself fixing the problems that the father, Zeus, wouldn't fix himself. Here's my problem, is you're getting a lot of this dialogue as... Sir Patrick is transforming into Ares. Look, Thewlis, he is a great villainous actor, but trying to believe that he's this giant god of war with that mustache and those teeth behind that mask, it's just hard for me. I, I needed more of a transformation because every time they'd show that face peering out of that, it looked like a paper mache mask. I think it looks really bad. It just strained credibility. And with his mustache and his glowing hand, I got the dark overlord. <laughs> I will say this. I'll go the opposite way. I think of David Thewlis being a very meek, mild-mannered. He can be psychologically nasty, but I don't think of him as having the potential for great physical violence. When he's taking all that melted steel, I think that's what it is, out of the explosions, reworking steel into a horned suit of armor, I actually think it's quite intimidating looking. I actually feel like for the first time, David Thewlis could win a fight. No, I think this was miscasting. I think he should have shed that human form and become something else. And I hate it when they do that at the end. But I think he looked ridiculous. Yeah, just become Sauron and become glowing eyes behind a suit of armor. Yeah, (laughs) seriously, he looked ridiculous, especially with that mustache. Just shave the silly stash. I needed like a handlebar mustache. You got to go like manly or if you're going to be the god of war. And he's too old. And I felt like it was a young woman beating up an old man. And I didn't like this fight. I like the look when there's flames everywhere. God help me. It had that good look like Snyder brings that art direction, the apocalyptic darkness and every bit again, splash page, beautiful. But this ending, I'm just sitting there rolling my eyes at Thulis. I'm more interested in Chief and Charlie yes. and all of them going after the poison because this end fight, they could have taken Wonder Woman fighting Doomsday and just changed the skins on the CGI. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you get the same, like there are moments I feel like I'm watching a video game where you have Thewlis throwing out lines like, I am stronger than you, Wonder Woman. And it just feels like the line you'd hear as you're fighting the boss at the end of a video game level. Yeah, I mean, they have to go with that kind of level because ultimately what we're talking about is unwinnable arguments. I mean, what is the nature of of humans? Are we justifiable? You can look at the history of humankind and say that we have the potential to do horrible things. And do we deserve to be annihilated for that? That case can be made. And then, of course, the case can be made for we're capable of great actions of love and beauty and that's what wonder woman chooses to focus on that she's holding the tank she could crush dr poison she could kill all the germans here she could side with Ares and create the perfect world that's just like her island at large she could fix that world she could save the world the way she described it at the beginning of this movie but she realizes that it's I guess, better for people that make their own choices. That you, when you accept free will, you accept the fact that mankind can do both. And she will love the ones that choose to do good. 
Does it undermine the concept of Wonder Woman and the power of love that she gets that from a man? There is this moment between her and Steve. We don't know if she did hear or not. There's been a big explosion. Steve, they're, they're going full on lost in translation. We don't know what's being said. Steve goes away to save the day by blowing up that plane. And then she remembers what was said. And I love you. I like that. I liked the scene where there was a big explosion and she temporarily lost her hearing. And I thought it was touching. She couldn't hear his goodbye. But we know he's running off on a suicide mission, and he gives her the watch that was his father's watch that had been through hell. He's going to give it to her. We'll see at the very end. She has it at the Louvre and runs off. I thought that was touching. And then when she goes back, and I guess she's lip reading. She's lip reading a flashback? Or Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. She's lip reading at the moment. But she's remembering and hearing his words. She No, I think she's lip reading the flashback because <laughs> what she's saying it works on two levels. He's like, I'm going to go. And she's like, what are you saying? Well, she's saying, what are you saying? Because she's deaf. But also, she could be saying, what are you saying? Like, I can't believe you're running off to kill yourself. And that's how I read it when we hear the words. And I, there's two big, emotional, impactful moments for me. And that one was storming the front, getting out of the trenches, leading the men to the German side. And this other one, man, I didn't know Chris Pine could do this to me. But I thought that was emotional. And he turns around and he shoots that gas way up in the atmosphere like i like this character i don't want steve trevor to go not only that but the way chris pine plays it he's afraid he knows it has to be done and then he like steals himself he gives himself a moment of peace it's all body and face acting there's no lines to use as a crutch he sells me on like the five stages of death all there from denial to acceptance before he pulled and we never see him pull the trigger we then just cut to the earth and see the plane blow up he could have jumped out on a parachute i suppose they could and that that would cheapen things i mean i think he's gone i really do and i i, I said it earlier that maybe he may come back as a son i don't think he's going to i think it means more when you lose a character i mean dark knight is more powerful because rachel dawes is dead and that is going to stay with that character for the rest of his time it motivates batman to have lost rachel in that way losing steve in this way motivates diana into becoming wonder woman she becomes wonder woman by making the choice that humans have the potential to do more good than harm and that she doesn't need to erase them all here's my question with how she defeats Ares, because you know we see that scene where she goes to stab him and the sword just gets turned to ash by Sir Patrick before he reveals himself. Oh, Wonder Woman is really the god killer. And what? Ares has the power of lightning? Did he take Zeus's power because he killed him? Because he's wielding a lot of lightning, and that's Zeus's deal, but... It's silly. It's a silly comic book movie ending. And this villain, this has been a hero's movie. This is an origin story. We focused on her. I'm taken back to Ironmonger. Yeah, that's where I went. <laughs> All these movies where the bad guy at the end pops up and they've been in the movie, but they're not really built up well. We've heard talk of Ares. We've not seen him do anything. And now he can shoot lightning. Fine. I don't care. Well, I like that Wonder Woman harnesses that lightning. She does that crossing of the bracelets again because she is the daughter of Zeus. If you're born of clay and a god, are you still a demigod or is that some other classification? No, I don't. She wasn't born of clay. As I mean, Zeus slept around and one of the people he slept with is Hippolyta. Well, no, Hippolyta, I, maybe that's a metaphor. In the comics, they played that literal. Like, she formed a baby out of clay and prayed to Zeus to bring it to life. Right. But then later in the comics, and like, I, I don't know if it was New 52 or the thing after New 52, but she is the daughter of Zeus in the comics now and that's how the, he says it she calls him brother she is not made of clay that was a fairy tale 
her father is Zeus, and I think that happened the natural way as written about in those 12 volumes. And I think you can make the case either way. This movie has been cagey about how much myth is true and how much modern science is true, and they'd like to believe that they can coexist, just as they'd like to believe that after all this is over, the Germans will rip off their gas masks and hug their enemies. And what happens to Dr. Poison, I do feel like if maybe she doesn't deserve a tank dropped on her, and she may. I mean, she developed the gas that killed that village. I think it's a little too easy to be like, love thy gasser. No, I don't think she goes off and lives her own life. I'm I think sure what happens then? My reading would be like Sammy or someone grabs her and she's held up in a tribunal for war crime. You can still have justice without them being just murdered on the spot. Dude, this is a superhero franchise. She's coming back in the sequel, right? I, I mean, seriously played by Betty White or something with a <laughs> fake jaw. No, she's going to find some gas to keep her young. Super soldier serum. Are we supposed to feel bad for her when they remove her jaw and we see that she's got the burned flesh? Are we supposed to suddenly be like, oh, you killed all those people because you're burned? No, absolutely not. She was being exposed for the ugly thing that she was. You say there's rewrites here at the end. I feel like something more satisfying should have happened to Dr. Poison. Somebody should have at least captured her on screen. Again, to play into vindictiveness, vengeance, to bloodthirstiness. Justice. Right. All of that is not what they're pushing with this movie. This is the stance of this movie. Will they be able to keep that going in sequels? I doubt it because obviously Wonder Woman will keep being pushed into battles again and again. But for this movie, this is the right ending. She doesn't have to drop a tank on her, but can't she just tie her up or something? I mean, they could tie up this ending better, but we quickly hop back to England and... You know, they want it to remain focused on Diana. Why is she the way she is? She was a mystery in Batman v Superman. I do feel like I understand her now when she's writing to Bruce, thanking him for this picture, thanking for bringing Steve back to her. But is it this memory? Because remember, in Batman v Superman, she was Diana Prince. She only left wherever she was, I guess the Louvre, to recover this photo that would expose her as an immortal, and she didn't want to go to battle. It wasn't until Doomsday was attacking the city that she finally picks up arms. Well, if you think, you know, there's a Superman and there's a Batman, why do you need me? Well, I didn't get that from that performance. I got it that she no, she wasn't Wonder Woman anymore. There's a lot of problems with the performances in that one. <laughs> Can we just agree that that movie was a mess? Yes. I, I Even though I recommended it, I recognize it's a mess. It is a mess, but I thought that there should be something to tell me why... If at the end of this, she says, I believe in love, and that's how she kills Ares is believing in love. And I thought she laid down the sword for a hundred years, you know? She ended World War One. she went off and lived her life in the world, and it wasn't until Batman v Superman she picked the sword back up. I guess she just let World War II happen. And now she is, at the end, she's leaping towards the camera like Spider-Man at the end of that Sam Raimi movie, just to give us that heroic last splash page so that we can be excited to see her again this fall in Justice League. But I'm missing some character development in there. Oh, I'm willing to bet she did go back home. And so maybe she missed Vietnam. I mean, there could have been some years <laughs> on the island where human deeds. Again, the way I take it is she doesn't necessarily feel like she needs to take on every bad guy. That humans have a choice. And if they make the choice for evil, that's what they've impelled themselves to do. Why she gets involved will be a curious question for Justice League yet to be answered. I don't even know why she's jumping off the Louvre. But hey, it looks good. So you could get that freeze frame for the 3d sure we can roll to the sia song it was a good song i like the song 
Jacob Stewart, I compel you to tell me the truth. Do you recommend Wonder Woman? Jacob. I spend a lot of time talking about movies in my home because I'm now playing, frankly, like so much going on about movies and sharing movies with these two girls, six and ten years old. I, I remember one time I'm like, you should see this movie, you should see this movie, just trying to think of movies from my youth that kids would like. I'm like, and I start telling them about Home Alone. And they're like, oh, that sounds really good. And I remember the 10-year-old turning to me, though, because I didn't realize this as a dude. She turns to me and she's like, is there a girl version of that, though? And, like, it broke my heart because I realized, like, every movie I was talking about, it had a boy or a guy as the protagonist. And who knows, with Home Alone, there's, like, six or seven direct-to-video sequels. There might be a girl version of that. <laughs> but that really had this impactful moment on me that, yeah, you could have great male and female characters and they could be role models to both. But especially for a growing child forming that identity, like, where are the female superheroes yeah there's scarlet witch there's black widow and they like seeing them when they pop up in those marvel movies but for this like to have a wonder woman film and it to be as good as it is i, th I think this is a pretty good film like it stands above most of the superhero fear is, is it the best is it better than iron man or, or some of those marvel ones no but i think it's up there for me sitting there watching it with my 10 year old it was a very emotional thing for me that oh thank goodness this is as good as it is and this is like you know i remember seeing christopher reeve as superman and flying around the movie theater pretending to fly at least because like that was so awesome and here's that moment for her i think it succeeds there and i'm glad it does because it's needed i mean this film does have problems yes as an adult i'm sitting there things were a bit obvious for me with some of the twists the pacing is off it should be a little bit shorter it gets messy at the end there are problems there but none of them that really sunk this movie for me that took away from the enjoyment i enjoyed this much more i had emotional moments at times so yeah this is a solid recommend for wonder woman but yet uh, what i heard was pretty good movie great statement for little girls well pretty good movie as in i'm not saying it's great five stars i'm saying pretty good yeah i give it four out of five stars Stewart. Yeah, I think DC finally should be congratulated. They finally have made an entry that can compete with the bulk of the Marvel canon. They've finally gotten a superhero movie that takes them back to the Dark Knight, and it works in many of the same ways that Christopher Nolan's film worked, although never reaching those heights. I mean, I want to be clear. It's never as successful as that, but it does juggle the, those cold cerebral ideas with comic book action and has a life of its own yes by bringing in all of the gender politics and what have you it really has given us something we've never seen in any superhero movie that should always be celebrated when we've seen so many superhero movies and so yeah very strong very moving problems of course subplots and supporting characters aren't always utilized to their maximum benefit I definitely think they struggled in that climax. But overall, I like a slower, more intellectual take on superhero genre. Those tend to be my favorite. I think that this is really getting up there with, with some of the best. I mean, again, what I struggle with, the whole is the, at the center of this movie. Gal Gadot is not worthy of all that is around her. She is not matching all that she has been given. Her jewelry is better than her character. She is mediocre in a movie that is crying for greatness. So in the end, I had to wrestle with that. I'm like, can I love a Wonder Woman movie if I don't like the woman playing Wonder Woman? And in the end, I just, believe it or not, I went to Madonna. You know, I was like, I was trying to think, you know, Madonna had some good albums and she cannot sing. She has a flat, unimpressive voice 
And yet you can still really, at times, she can hit greatness because of her support, because there's this very expensive, very creative apparatus around her that enables her to be her best. You can still enjoy the tunes, even though it's a shallow star at the center. So that's where I'm at with this. I don't love Wonder Woman as Gal Gadot played her. I hope that they recast before November's Justice League, but it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. <laughs> but I will say, a very strong movie and, and a really impressive debut for this character, finally. Yeah, I think we said coming into this, it's a low bar to be the best DC movie. <laughs> Wonder Woman leaps above that bar like she's attacking it like the tower in the Battle of Vlad. This is a good movie, but it's not as good as I wanted it to be either. I wanted it to be up there so that I would put it with the pantheon of superhero films I absolutely love, like Avengers, Iron Man, and Dark Knight. It's not up there. Oh, so you wouldn't put it up there? Because I do put it up there. No, not even close. You took a 10-year-old to see it. Don't take the 6-year-old. They'll fall asleep. You'll be paying for a nap, this thing drags. Well, she would have been too scared with the violence. There's, and there's no violence. There's nothing to scare a 6-year-old. There's a village being gassed. I think there are very chilling things. No, the, yeah, she would have been scared. Well, this movie drags terribly. And I'm saying it's a good movie it's well made. It's pretty. There's some good performances in it, though. I agree with you, Stuart. The lead. I don't think I'm as hard on her as you are. I don't dislike her as much as you do, but I think she falters a lot. There's scenes that would have more weight with her being a better performer, but the end of this movie is a mess. The entire final battle feels really muddy and unfulfilling, but it looks pretty. Getting there is a bit of a slog for that hour between leaving the island and getting to Vald. But once you get to Vald, it does pick up quite a bit. I enjoy the scenes with the dance. So it's right there. You know, it's a good movie, but it's not the best superhero movie. I think DC still can improve. Maybe they will with Justice League. I don't know. I hope so. I w and I could already hear, oh, you're just saying this because you're a Marvel guy. No, I wanted to love this movie up there the way I do even Richard Donner's Superman. And again, I put Dark Knight up there. I can love DC movies. I don't love this movie, but it's a recommend. It's a good movie. I just wish it was better. But you put the last of truth around me. I checked my watch every 10 minutes in this. That's why I could tell you exactly the beats. I was bored during a lot of it. Yeah, you know, it's hard to rank at this point. How many superhero movies have we seen? 40, 50 of them? I... <laughs> to me, this is in that Ant-Man, Doctor Strange territory. No, no. To me, this is Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which I had a good reaction to. It's not as good as Avengers or Iron Man or Dark Knight, but it's up there. I like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 more than this, and I was a little tepid on that. Uh, see, I liked Wonder Woman more than Guardians, so. Yeah, I think my favorite comic book movies is X-Men First Class and The Dark Knight, and those are rare. I mean, you're rarely going to get that. Keep in mind, when we went through Marvel originally, I think it was like 30 not recommends before I found a movie <laughs> I even liked, so. That 70s Doctor Strange one? <laughs> you know, I can discount most superhero movies and say this is one of the best, just for for that reason. I think it's a B plus. I think they're really close to having a complete home run. There's a lot of things that were working for them. Yeah. I definitely feel like if it's not in the top 10, it's in the top 15 best superhero movies ever made. 
Yeah, but you're putting that in the same category as in the bottom five is Batman and Robin. So yeah, top 20, sure. I mean, there, there's a lot of crap superhero movies. This one is good. Captain America is, I feel like, her equivalent. She is much better here than First Avenger, but not near Winter Soldier. Yeah, no, but this is better than First Avenger or the first Thor film, so. I think it's right there with those. I was, I thought those were good films, too. I didn't love either one tremendously, but no. I wanted a Winter Soldier or even a Civil War. But we will be getting more Wonder Woman later this year. Justice League. Again, I forgot that's coming out, even though we just talked about it coming out a few hours ago. And then they're already talking Wonder Woman 2. They say it'll probably be present day, but they don't have a script yet. Well, and Joss Whedon's supposed to be doing a Batgirl as well. I mean, DC, good for them for leading, you know, who knows if we'll get that before Captain Marvel. But hopefully this gives them a little bit more courage to come out with those female fronted films. On the one hand, I'll be like, yeah, female fronted film. On the other hand, I feel like DC is grabbing its straws. Like we're throwing a Nightwing movie up. We're throwing a Batman movie up. We're throwing a Batgirl movie up. Why wouldn't you throw a Batman movie up? Like everyone loves Batman. Yeah, but to do it at the same time. I mean, there was at one point a rumor, three Batman films in the same calendar year, counting Batgirl and Nightwing. And they're... They're just going to toss it all on the screen, and sometimes it'll be Wonder Woman, and sometimes it'll be Suicide Squad. When are we getting Aquaman? Because when I saw the trailer, the newest <laughs> one that ran before my 3D screening the second time, that was the character they really seem to be loving. They're filming it now. I've seen shots from the set. Is Flash still coming? I feel like it ran off the schedule when the, the director left. Yeah, they're still trying to find a director for that. I've heard they're trying to get... A big name like Sam Raimi. I don't know why he'd do it. But then again, I don't know why Joss Whedon would go do Batgirl. Yeah, we'll see about DC. But this is at least a sign of hope. It, it can get better than what they've been given. They want to try. They've worked harder. And they've succeeded. And this is three green arrows. Uh, good on them. This is the first DC film since Man of Steel getting three arrows. And I did definitely get a Man of Steel Superman feel. When she's like leaping towards the building, it reminded me of... Cal learning to fly in the Arctic. So DC, kudos, and I'm looking forward to Justice League quite a bit. But that's enough of good girls. Let's talk about some bad boys. What you gonna do? We're reviewing Bad Boys next week because we're taking two weeks not going to review movies in theaters. But three weeks from now, we have Transformers. <laughs> so to cover the weeks in between, we're going to go to Michael Bay Films. I feel I can defend... Bad Boys, Will Smith, Martin Lawrence. I was the one that put it on the calendar. I, everyone knows what a big fan I am of this franchise, <laughs> right? You're the newbie. <laughs> Never wanted to even see it, but I, I will. I'm, I'm hoping Arnie's enthusiasm is contagious. And also, if you want to hear more now playing, last Friday, our fifth Pirates of the Caribbean review came out, Dead Men Tell No Tales. So for a donation to our show of $10 or more, you can get all five Pirates reviews. The week before that, we did Alien Covenant. So for a donation of $25 or more, you get all five Pirates films, all six Alien films. Then coming up later this summer, Planet of the Apes. It's all part of our donation drive. We don't have a new show coming out this Friday, but we do have all of those ready for you. If you support our show, keep us going week after week. You can find the details clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. And if you're a patron, next week, not only do we have Bad Boys, but we've got another bonus review. We did Warriors. We did Hook. Next week, Coherence. 
Cool. Yeah, it's a little movie. If you've been grooving to our David Lynch retrospective, I think it definitely has a Mulholland Drive kind of quality. We're going to be talking about a small event with real big universe implications. Does it cohere? Well, we'll find out. And if you're a fan of our Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, it's a small micro-budget film made by one of the art directors on that film who directed the bonus movie on one of those DVDs about the wenches getting auctioned off. Yeah, I, if you're a Pirates fan, I don't know if it's for you. I'll be honest with you. There's very little Pirates in the movie. I'm not going to mislead people. But yeah, there are definitely some creative forces we've seen before in bigger movies working on a real small scale. I tend to like indie movies. I like science fiction. I hope you can join us for that show. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. Listeners, thanks for joining us. Let us know what you think of Wonder Woman in our forums. I'd love to see that chat. And until we return next week, justice has been served. I used to want to save the world. This beautiful place. But the closer you get, the more you see the great darkness within. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay down! I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Can you imagine how people on this planet would react if they knew there was someone like this out there. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the DC movies with other listeners. I love it. I love bringing people together. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other comic book films, such as Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, The Avengers, X-Men, The Punisher, and Fantastic Four. I can't wait to show you my toys. You can also listen to our reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. The world's too big, Mom. Then make it small. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love not sold anywhere commercially in the world, even Black Market. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. This may be the only thing I do at the moment. I know you're trying to find out where I hang my cake. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Support from listeners like you. Help keep Now Playing operating. It'd be a huge burden for anyone to bear. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No money, no honey. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. <laughs> My suit, son. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. That's how it starts. The fever. The rage. The turns, good man. Cruel. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Sorry. The voices. 
I'm kidding. That's not what they really said. Now Playing is not affiliated with DC Comics or Warner Brothers Pictures. DC Comics and all that the DC Universe contains are copyright and trademark Warner Brothers Entertainment, and no infringement is intended. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Today is a day for truth. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Oh, what a surprise. Strange. Unfortunately, I have another matter to attend to. Yeah, careful there, Jacob. I think you're talking us into a Home Alone retrospective nobody wants to do. No, I, I rewatched that with um, and I'm like, ooh, this movie doesn't hold up. <laughs> first but, one, the first one does. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, about this franchise and this movie.